Hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling, and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan, and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton, and Thoreau, as they quiz me on some of the more complicated, confusing, challenging, and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience. Many people just don't know where to start, they get confused, and so they give up. Well, that's why this podcast exists, to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself. So grab your Bible, take a deep breath, and join us as we explore this week's passages. To learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3 Church Camden, Picton and Thoreau, visit any of our three locations' websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreau.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations' names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation. Pastor Rowan, it's great hey, to be Jeff. with you again. Be here with our new podcasting equipment for the yeah. first time. Yeah, hopefully it all works okay, eh? Yeah. So here we are again doing a podcast. We're uh, into a new series um, today, and the series is The Father. Mm. And in particular, today's topic is Creator. Mm. So um, let's just jump straight into it. What I want to do first of all is just read something to you, Pastor Rowan, and... Um, We can talk about that. Sure. So we're reading Genesis 1, chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So, what... (laughs) I mean, that, that, that... First words of the Bible. It is, and a lot of what we believe hinges on this, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, that whole concept of creation. So, created. It's 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 a uh, we talk about it quite a bit, created. But when you actually stop and think about what that means, Mm. can can, have you got any idea how God created? The heavens and the earth. I'll start with a big question, Jeff. <laughs> well, that's a big one. Yeah. Now, but... Any idea how? Well, I think that's beyond the realms of my understanding. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's not beyond the realms of that's what science is about: is trying to discover aspects of the way creation works and yeah. how it's all been wired together. Um, I don't think the Bible is asking those questions. I think this is where a lot of times we get ourselves confused. The Bible's not asking questions about whether God created. Genesis 1, 1, we just read it starts with, in the beginning, God did create. Mm. He doesn't presume to explain how. And it's not to say we shouldn't try and research that. It's just that's not the question that the Bible sure. is predominantly asking. So yep. do I have any – I just think God's big. I mean, yep. I, can give a, I can give scientific things to understand and what it looked like, and that's always a, a changing, shifting 
uh, understanding of science changes. Sure. But um, God is big and he created. I guess what I would say, we've talked about creator when we were doing the Holy Spirit series as well. So, you know, that aspect, of, and even these scriptures we're going to look at today, a lot of them are about Jesus as creator. Mm. It's a good argument for the Trinity that Father, Son, and Spirit are all involved in creation together. Um, I think maybe one thing I would say is that we, the way we think of creation is a little different to the way that the Jewish Bible thinks of creation. Sure. We tend to think if something's created, there's nothing to start with. You created from nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, out of nothing, you create something. Now, our brains would say that has to have happened. At one point, there had to be nothing. And then God created something. You and I, we don't create anything. We, in that, in that way, we're, no. we're endowed with the creative ability. When you're, when you're jip-rocking a wall and doing your artwork, you are creating, but you're not creating something out of nothing. That's right. You're yeah. using raw materials that God has already created and putting them together in such a way that then it is creating a beautiful piece of artwork. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So yep. we don't, we're not endowed with the ability to create something out of nothing. I think intuitively we would have to say God did that at some point, but that's not actually how the Jewish people thought of it. Western world think of it. I think it's probably, it's called ex nihilo in Latin means out of nothing. Yep. Um, but, but Jews actually, when you read Genesis 1 here, you'll realize at no point really did they have a concept there was nothing. There was always something. It's more that the something was, was rough and wild and untamed and um, like a, a raw lump of clay or a wild desert or sure. chaotic oceans, there was no order. So when New Testament, when Old Testament creation here, we're reading, we, we need to be thinking not about there being nothing, but rather that, that what was being described is, it says, without form and empty. Yep. So it hasn't got structure to it, it hasn't got beauty to it. It's just raw, raw mm. materials. I think that's what they are thinking when they're reading this. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, as we read through, you, you, what you say is right. There was, you know, this um, seas and, and um, the vault, you know, the the water ab- above and water yes, below. And, sort of and, yeah, God created from that. And then yeah. he, well, and then he created things from nothing. From nothing. Oh. From the, from the chaotic waste, from the formlessness yeah, yeah. of it. Yeah. I guess you could say, if you read one, Verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's a school of argument that says that that could be a whole, that yeah. sentence alone exists before everything else. So I guess you could say that's the creation from nothing. At one point sure. there was nothing. Then God created everything. Yep. But then everything isn't ordered and structured. He then goes about going, okay, now I've got all this order, all yep. this disorder. Let's order it in a certain way. Yep. Let there be light. Let, let there, there be, be animals structure and all that and, sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah, all that kind of stuff as we move through. Sure. Okay. So like I just said, there's there's a lot of creation of you know light and yeah. dark and the moon and the sun the ordering and of chaos all that sort of stuff structure, yeah so i want to we'll just sort of jump forward a little bit so i want to jump to verse 20 and 21 and god said let the water teem with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky so god created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the waters teem and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Wow. I, when I was reading that, oh, I was just getting so excited thinking about every living 
thing in the, the the sea teems with like it's not just you know it wasn't just one or two fish and no, a shark it's no. like great sea creatures there's things we're still discovering in yeah, the ocean I'm yeah. like goodness it's just so exciting to yeah. to think of that the depths you know? and the, the the stuff down there we don't even see it's, yeah yeah I kind of picture God as just um enjoying this creation process yeah, himself. For know, sure, just, yeah. Oh, thoroughly enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. The way he goes, okay, let's just put some feathers on this seahorse <laughs> yeah, or something yeah, to make right. it look like yeah, a – Exactly. Yeah, I don't know, yeah. you know, it, beautiful colours and, oh, that's yeah. the creativity of our God, isn't oh, it? He's sure. just incredible. And the birds, you know, when, when I go for a walk from my place to the beach, which is 500 metres, I reckon I see – every time I walk there, I, I reckon I see – Half a dozen different bird species, maybe more, and that's just in my little patch of ground. Oh, it's just incredible. Just to stop and think about it, the vastness. Yeah, and that is a key tenet of creation that um, is linked with what we're going to see. In, we're not doing it today, but Genesis two and three. That that trust that there is more than enough. That God has created more than enough. And Pastor yeah. Phil talks about this. God didn't need to create color. We don't need color to survive. People are, yeah. are color blind, and they can still they can still survive. That's the vastness of God's creation that he, um, he's gone over and above. Yeah. There is, he's the God of more than enough. He's El Shaddai. So there's vastness of animals. There's vastness of shrubbery and greenery and yeah. birds and fish, like it says here. He, he's lavish in his creation. Yeah. It's just wonderful, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Now, in verse 21, uh, is it 21? Yep. It says, according to their kinds. Mm. Now this is this I know this is an important little uh, phrase as well for um, for when people are talking about evolution. Okay. Yep. You know, do you, are you familiar with that sort of? Yep. Where yep. they they might use this uh, according to their kind as an anti-evolution. I have heard that argument theory. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'd have to do some more research into. It. I have heard it. I remember the Creation Science Foundation people doing that. Yeah. I, I'm not sure that. That's necessarily how you have to. I think once again it might be. I'm not saying it isn't that, but I just think once again that could be trying to impose something on the scripture that it's not saying. The, okay. The, the, the scripture's not trying to talk about whether evolution's true or not true. Yep. Um, whether or not there's gen, whether or not there's you know changes genetic changes within species or whatever. And I've got my own beliefs and thoughts on that, and I've changed a bit over the years from probably where I was. But I, I'm no expert on that. Um, Let's look at it in its context, Jeff. Then God said, let the water swarm with fish, let the sea skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures. Okay, so, uh, no, that's not what, that's verse 20, sorry. We're looking at verse 21. Each producing offspring of the same kind. Okay. Yep. Okay, so yours is what does yours say? Part. After their own kind or something. Uh, it, yeah, according to their kind. According to yep. their kind. So, yeah, I think there's probably a picture there, which you think if you put yourself in, you know, 3,000-year-old, you know, in the desert when we're first hearing this story, hearing this read, you're thinking um, about the fact that a bird produces another bird that's the same. Sure. Um, a, a fish produces another fish that's the same. A, a horse doesn't produ produce a lion. So I think that's the picture that they're saying. And that's obviously how God has yep. made creation. I would stop short of saying that that emphatically disproves the fact that things do change over time. I would have I would have probably said that for different reasons than this. I don't necessarily say that. I'm not saying that it isn't the case, but I don't necessarily say that. I'm I'm more comfortable with with genetic science and what genetic science seems to be showing, which is that 
there are changes in the genetic code over time. I'm more comfortable with that. It doesn't affect my faith. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Okay. And so I'm, and, and I really, I, th- I think I mentioned this before. I'm well aware that, that that's a sensitive topic because some, and I was raised to think that if I, if I don't, dis- if I don't take all of this 100% literally that I'm throwing everything about my Christianity out. That's how I was raised. And I genuinely believed that for a long time. I'm much more comfortable now with going, that may be so, but if it's not so, I'm not threatened by the fact that it's not so because I don't think that's the questions they were trying to ask here. The The truth of God's word is not contingent on whether or not this is this is not a scientific textbook. This is a theological book. This is yep. about the history of humanity. This is about the nature of humanity. This is about God's relationship with humans. That does not mean it needs to have a, for me, it doesn't mean to have 100% scientific, hard and fast evidence. I'm much more comfortable with the fact that that's not the question is asking. Yeah, right. You know, um, I can understand that provided we 100% believe that God created. Yes, the heavens and the earth. Yes, yep. absolutely. Yeah, yep. that's and to me, there's a few fundamental tenets that we, we're doing this topic called the Father is Creator. So there are some tenets: the Father, the Son, the Spirit, the Trinity yep. that God created. Um, and of course, there are other things you can t- you can take that argument and start to water everything down, which is what liberal theology does, and water it down. And they don't believe in Jesus' resurrection or Jesus' death. Well, they might believe Jesus died, but they don't believe he rose again. They don't believe in miracles. Yep. To me, that they're non-negotiables. They are fundamental sure. tenets of the Christian faith. But they are pre- presented as historical fact. There is very little historical fact being presented in the Bible that you could say what categorically is, is historical fact until much, much later because societies were, were nomadic peoples. They didn't have writing tablets yeah. during these days. These stories were passed down from generation to generation and they weren't passed down for the purpose of historical fact. They were actually passed down for the purpose of teaching something about the nature of God and his relations with yeah, right. with people. That's actually what the purpose of them was. Mm. Yeah, that's good to keep in mind, isn't it? Yeah. For sure. Okay, let's jump to verse 27. Verse 27. Oh, that's a big one. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That is a big one. Mm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> There's quite a few things we could talk about there, but the, the, I guess the thing I wanted to to get your thoughts on is in His image. Okay. What what does what do you think that means? In His own image. Yep. Uh, yeah, I guess you know we we probably think when we think something is in our image, it looks like us. Yes. Yeah. Okay, we so. we we look in a mirror. Yep. And we see an image of us. It's not us. But it represents us. Yep. It's it's a reflection of us. We can look at it. We, we, we kind of look at it and go, that's us. But it's it's actually just a reflection of us. Yes, that's right. If we can, so we can if we take that and we come back to the root meaning of that image, let's let's think about what that means. That means that we aren't God, but we should look like God. Yep. And that we should reflect God if we're using the the mirror image mentality. So when you say look like God, you, you're not meaning. Physically, physically look, look like, like God? God? No, I don't think so. Although, although, um, talked about this recently in, in a sermon I preached that when when Jacob looks up the ladder and he sees the Lord at the top of the ladder in that dream, it says the Lord seems to appear in some kind of humanoid form. Not yeah. saying he isn't, but there's some kind of humanoidish kind of look about him. So it might stretch to that, but I don't think that's the point. I think it's more about the attributes. This is how I read it anyway. It's the attributes of God, the creativity, the love. The, uh, all, all those attributes that we are supposed to 
image of God on the earth. Yeah. Because this story is going to go on and God's going to say, I want you to represent me on the earth. I want you to be my image on the earth. Uh, in other words, when people look at you, they should be able to see me reflected in you. We aren't the image. I think it was um, Max Licato had a, a really good children's story about this uh, many years ago. I don't remember all the context. You can probably find it about the moon. And he was using the analogy of the moon. The moon, ref the moon, the moon has no light of its own. Yep. It reflects the light of the sun. Um, so it is incapable of actually producing anything of its own. It just reflects. Yeah. And he says that's kind of what we are. We are designed to reflect the light of God into the world, um, even though we're actually incapable of doing that if we're not breathed on by the Holy yeah. Spirit. What a lovely thought, eh? That it we, is. We can do that. We reflect. It's, well, it's a privilege, isn't it? Yeah. Right. And that, so that's the second thing I'd say about image because we we think mirror image um, – I would suspect that they would have thought mirror image, but you've got to remember in that era, mirror images are nothing. Mirror, they didn't have mirror technology the way we have now. Yeah. The best they could hope to do, this is Bronze Age, so when they're reading this, uh, mid-Bronze Age, so the best they could hope to do is polish up a piece of bronze yeah. and get some kind of reflection, or maybe when they look in the water on a still day, they would see. that would be, Actually, that would probably be the closest yeah. thing they would have to a reflection. Sure. So I don't necessarily think that image, mirror image is the first thing they load up in their mind. The first thing they load up in their mind is, is pagan temples. And so yeah, okay. they think an image is the God, the idol that was in the pagan temple. And all the pagan nations around it, they put the image of the God. Same mentality. The, the idea was that I think most of them understood that, that that stone idol or that wooden idol in the temple wasn't the God they were worshipping. But they saw it, the pagans saw it as so much representing that God, that that, that God had chosen to place its his or her presence yep. in that thing. Okay. To the point where it probably was indistinguishable. I think you think if you cut them up, most people would understand oh, no, the, the God is up there or in heaven or whatever, but but this is this is as close as yep. the God comes. The God has chosen to dwell in this thing. Yeah. So that's the image they're thinking. And what we're about to see in this creation story is that there is no image in the temple that God creates. Because yes. humans are that image. Yeah, we, right. we actually are the ones who are supposed to represent. And this entire Genesis 1 story, um, it, it actually needs to be read through the lens of uh, God establishing a temple. Um, yep. Does that make sense? Yeah, yep. And I, th I think, um, was it the last podcast you talked Maybe or, or well, it won't be We're the last now. But the, moment, so, the yeah. last one that I heard, you were yep. talking to Jeannie about, you know, the, what things represented in the temple and yes, yes, yep. that's right. Yeah, so the different aspects of temp, yep. temple. Yeah, um, we're talking about Eden and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so um, you know, in in this case, the seven the seven structures. So ancient temples were built on a a structure of sevens. There were seven processes of building the temple. And the last thing that went into the ancient temple when they would actually do it would be the image. Yeah. And okay. so, and this this may or may not upset some people who want to take this literally. And you probably still could if you wanted to. But I actually suspect that what's going on here is that as this is being written, this is being written as a parody or a commentary <clears throat> on that form of temple taken. Because as you go through this, you'll see that God actually establishes layers of his of the whole of creation as a temple. And then he separates things out. So he separates out light and dark. He separates out um, uh, sun and moon, heavens and earth, water and sky. He goes through this separation process to build up a seven structured temple. Yeah, sure. And yep. then in the last thing he puts in that temple, right at the very end here in Genesis 21, 
verse uh, one verse twenty seven is is the image. He's mm. God. He actually puts Adam and Eve, or he puts in this case Adam, into the. He creates them. Oh, it's Adam and Eve, well, male and female. They're not called Adam and Eve until the next chapter, but male and female into that temple as the yep. image. So um, that's it's worth doing some exploration on that because I think it's it's trying to show what it really means to be the image of God. It's very significant. Mm. It is, isn't it? Yeah. And just as a last little thing before we leave this chapter, verse 26, I know this is going backwards a little bit, mm-hmm. but God said, let us make mankind in our image, yep. in our likeness. And then he goes on that, you know, we should rule over the birds of the sky, that it's that, that bit there, let us make mankind. Yep. Yep. So the us, who's us? The God and the angels? Um, I've heard it and I've believed it for years that it was, it was the Holy, it was the Trinity speaking, um, the us plural there, meaning it seems like it's saying God, one person is saying us. It seems like how can a singular person say yep. us? And so I've heard that argument and I, I believe that. I think with more research I've done in more recent years, I think you probably, while that might be true, I think you probably potentially were putting something into the text that wasn't originally there. Okay. Um, I think if we if we go back to what they were thinking at the time, that's not what they were thinking. Even though it's very clear from as you develop theology throughout the Old Testament, they did have a concept of God being a a, a single being, but manifesting in multiple different ways. I, I think we talked about the concept of Trinity on our group yeah. podcast. We did. So I think I suspect there this is more about the council. It's then Elohim said, um, "This is this is." The Elohim, the primary Elohim, the primary God. Elohim is a plural word. So it's one of God's names, but it doesn't just mean God. It can actually mean spiritual beings. So um, any spiritual being is an Elohim. Uh, Even angels and demons and so on. Any spiritual being is an Elohim. And the Bible then, sometimes it uses it collectively for all spiritual beings. And sometimes it uses the word and it's apparent from context that it's talking about the supreme Elohim. The one who created all the other Elohim. Okay. And I think that's what it's saying. So I think potentially, I think it's Psalm, there's a, it's not Psalm 8. There's a Psalm that talks about, and Jesus quotes it in John 2 around, you are, um, it uses Elohim and it says, I've created you all. And it's, it, God's actually seems to be talking to his, his spiritual beings. I think God is saying, us, let's all be involved. You Elohim, your spiritual beings, let's all be involved in the creation. I want to include you in the creation. Probably. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. This is what I think. Yeah. Off the top of my head. That's a good, I've never heard that um, idea before, but yeah, that that makes a bit of sense. Yep. As much as it makes sense sense that the Trinity did it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. That's great. And uh, just before we leave, while while I was uh, reading through this passage, God creating things, you know, like I said, the fish and the birds and everything, it reminded me of my favorite chapters in the Bible, which is Job 38 and 39. Mm, and God's crea- They're your favorite chapters. I love them. When, when I very first read it, I thought, oh, it just, it humbles me and yeah. it just shows the majesty and the enormity of yeah, God and, yeah. and that he's in charge and then I'm happy that he's yes, in charge. Yeah, you know? So yeah. if you're not familiar with Job 38 and 39, you might think Job is a book all about you know, destruction and suffering you know, and hardship and yeah, pain. Read chapter 38 and 39, probably and a few, are, maybe a few more there, but oh, it's just exciting stuff to read that. So well, it's, God, it's God calling Job on his 
complaining about thinking he knows it all and blaming God and God's going, yeah. hey, where were you? Is that the one? Where, yeah, where were says, you when I created the birds? And where were you yeah. when I did this? And basically he says, yeah, can you have a go for a while? That's right. And he says, <laughs> yeah. where are you when the baby bird calls for its food? You know, yes. I'm the one that feeds that yes. bird. You know, it's yeah. just, it just shows that God's involved yeah. in everything, yeah. every aspect and, of and his creation. And I think creation. That's, that's probably part of what some of the concern is with with um, among Christians about some of the science, some of the sci- the evolutionary science and all that stuff that's out there today. It's like we're trying to water it down to a natural um, a, a, a natural process that is devoid of God. And the new atheists, Hitchens and Dawkins, they're all about that. They they fall on about this stuff. They they want to take God out of the equation. Yep. What I think we need to realise is that that doesn't have to be the premise of science. Christians can become very fearful of scientific developments because somehow we fear that that's going to be taken out of it. But we can approach science with this faith component still and this deep belief that God created and it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search out the matter, Proverbs says. So if we come at it with a wonder, and I've heard so many scientists who come at it with a wonder and they, they delight in the fact that now they are discovering the depth of God's creation. It actually enlarges their faith in the, in the bigness of God because yeah. the smaller you go, the deeper you, you dig into the atom, the, the deeper into the ocean you go, yeah. the more wonder there is. While I was away on holidays, I was listening to a podcast of an African-American lady who she's, um, there's only like, I think she said there's like eight or something people who've actually gone down into the bottom of the Mariana Trench, in, right down to the lowest point on the planet. Okay. She was the first African-American to do it and she was the f- second woman to do it or something. And she's, she, some of you may have seen this. I hadn't seen it. So she's a Christian lady and she's down eight kilometres under the ocean wow. floor in the submarine. And she's down there and there's nothing around. There's like only, she's, eight people have been there in their entire, in the entire history of the world. <laughs> she's mm-hmm. down there and she's taking this photo out this submarine and there's a beer bottle in the bottom, the lowest Seriously. point on the place. She's got a video. She put it on YouTube and she did a talk yeah. about all that. And she was saying how, you know, how we're wrecking our career. Here's evidence that and you can go to the place where no one's been in a beer bottle is there wow. in this place. And it caused quite, quite a stir from, you know, from an, an ecology perspective, as yeah. you can imagine, that this would find its way to the bottom of the ocean. But she, here she is down there and she is enraptured with the glory of God in, the, in this point. So scientific knowledge can actually increase your wonder yeah. in God. Don't be afraid of it. Yep, that's great. It actually great. deepens my it's, – it's like reading Job 38 and 39. Read that and go, man, he created all that. Imagine what it would be like if I could discover some aspect of what it's like that he created those stars that are, you know, 14 billion light years away. Yeah, it yeah. Might be. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just – it's mind-blowing, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely yeah. beautiful. Okay. Well, I'm happy to leave Genesis, Genesis chapter one, 1 there. Okay. There's a lot more we could talk about, but we've got a a whole bunch more to talk (laughs) about. So we're going to move on now to Psalm chapter 8 or Psalm 8. Psalm 8. Psalm 8. Psalm 8. I'm going to read the, the whole psalm. Yes, and then we'll have short a little, psalm. Yep, it's only a short one. So here we go. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens... 
the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place? What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea and all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a poetic reflection on Genesis 1. It is, yeah. That's probably why it's here. Yeah, yeah. and it's uh, King David wrote this Yep, this psalm. So, um, so verse two. I, I found this verse two quite complex. Yeah, fascinating yep. actually. Yep. I think I understand it. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. What do you make of that? So the New, Link, New Living Translation says, "You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silence your enemies." And all who oppose you, I think what my understanding has always been of Psalm eight, the, these parts, is that God, is, it, David, is reflecting on the hugeness of God and the closeness of God. Yeah, okay. At the same time, how can God, who is all up there, when I think of all of that, who are we that you think about us? Mm. And so he's he's wrestling with this majestic God who would come so close, and it's like what he what he's saying is is that God has endured all his richness and power and he's limited himself so that he would choose to show that power to his enemies through the praise of little children yeah and i think that's what jesus jesus quotes he's he's picking up on this when he is walking into jerusalem yep and he says i tell you even the rocks will cry out and the children are praising god and all that sort of stuff and he actually quotes i think he quotes this he says you have through your children you have ordained praise i think jesus yeah if i'm right john jesus does quote this so I think it's this bigness and the closeness of God. Um, and the enemy is almost silenced that this massive God would choose to um, receive praise and be st- and, and have his strength established in a little child or a baby crying. Mm. I don't know. What, what do you think? You did some research, evidently. Well, well, I just researched in my mind. I yeah, just sure. thought about it, you know. I just thought, well... And just as we're speaking now, I'm I'm thinking about the fact that I, I don't know if this would be right or not, but certainly in Christianity we see, um, let's say, in a church in our church services on a Sunday morning, we have little kids dancing yes. around here and and just just enjoying yep. worshiping God. Yep. I don't don't know that that happens in other religions. Right. Um, yep. To. I'm no expert on other religions, but it, it seems as though people, um, they have to get to a certain age before they're kind of admitted into the other yeah, religions right. or they're, yeah. they're, they're seen to be intelligent enough to be able to understand yeah. the other religions. But in Christianity, we see yeah. little yeah. little babies yeah. almost, don't we? Yeah, I can't. I, like you, I probably couldn't comment on, on the other religions in terms of other Eastern religions or Islam even. I, I can't think of, you know, it seems like Islam, you, you know, you've got to be a man. And you would argue that Jews, Jewish boys can't do it until the mitzvah either. Although yeah. I would say that, you know, do you think that Jewish children are involved in celebrations and all that kind of stuff yeah. too, which they're probably riffing off the same concept. 
yeah, I re- I wonder if God has wired it into into the DNA, if you like, of His children. Yeah, that they will praise Him. That there's something innate that's beautiful about God, and maybe that's what David is saying here. It's like, why would such a majestic God, oh Lord, how majestic is Your name? When I look at the sky and I think about how big You are, what what on earth are we? Why would you even bother with us is yeah, what yeah. this psalm's about. Yep. Especially when he knows his own heart. He knows his own heart. And it's not just, why would you even bother with me? Yeah, he's the king. But why would you bother with a little child yeah. on the street who's no, you know, a nobody? Yeah. You know, but he does. So he's, yeah, yeah I reckon that should, should inspire us that a big God would come close. I used to say the bigness of God and the smallest of God. I, I think that sends the wrong meaning. I think the bigness of God and the closeness of God. Yeah, it's good. It's not that he limits... It's still he remains big, but he he comes close in his bigness. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I think it's great evidence that you know it, I can't help but when I when I watch those kids, you know, yes, or, yeah. I, I, some of my grandkids and yeah. and my kids when they were little, yeah. you know, when they were two years old, raising yeah. their hands in church. Yeah. And I know they're probably just it does it actually doesn't mimicking, matter, but they're just. There's something innate within them. Yeah. That's why Jesus says, let the little children come to me. It's his yeah. heart. So there's something innate within it. I don't think we should squash it. I think we should be encouraging it. And and I've always been a big advocate for this. Yeah, I know that, you know, if you try and listen, someone's trying to listen to a sermon and a child's making a noise, I realize from a perspective that can be challenging. But what we're really about here is is creating an environment where the little ones, because Jesus said, let them come close. Yeah. I'm sure it was disruptive for Jesus too. That, in fact, it was because that's what the disciples were saying. They're yeah, in yeah. the way. They're stopping us from doing the ministry, Lord. Yeah. And he goes, no, you missed the point, guys. They are the ministry. <laughs> Let's create space for the little ones to come close. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So um, let's just have a look. Verse uh, well, we just talked about verse three and four, didn't we? Why, why us over all creation? Yeah. You know, <laughs> Where I guess we, there's no real answer to why us. No, you know why we we've, we've been given the ability to to to, to think and to mm. to understand who God is when you know other animals and things yeah. maybe haven't to the same extent that we have. Well, some of the Second Temple apocryphal literature, the Book of Enoch, and and books that aren't included in our Bible that were written around the same time as as uh, the Old Testament was being put together in its final form, they wrestle with that. And there's a, there's a belief within some of these texts that part of the problem the enemy, the devil, demons had is that that they were supposed to be the pinnacle of creation. It's this Psalm 8. They saw themselves as, well, hang on a second, we should be the pinnacle of creation. We're the supernatural beings. We're the heavenly yeah, beings. Yeah, we're, right. we're more powerful. Why? Why? It's almost like jealousy deep-seated in the heart of the enemy, in, Luc- in Lucifer's heart, that he goes, what are they? Yeah, yeah. They're nothing. Why would you crown them over us. Yeah. And that's, that's the, the, now we don't know if that's the case, but this is what the, this is the prevailing view at the time of Jesus was that the, the the demons and the the enemy was jealous that God chose humans. Yeah. Well, that makes sense in that. Yeah. It's it's five, doesn't it? It does make sense. It's a commentary on that. So I wanted to mention verse five. I highlighted it so we didn't remember. So your version said you've made him a little lower than the angels. Yeah. Yep. So my version says you've made him a little lower than God. And right. um, and the New Testament, when it's quote this part, psalm is quoted in Hebrews, it uses the terminology angels. Yep, uh, you made him a little lower than the angels. So what it actually says in the original is you made him a little lower than Elohim. Yeah. So okay. that that that's that thing I was saying about rule. which one is it? Yeah, is it you made him a little lower than the Creator God, 
or a little lower than all the angels. And the, the reason in your version, which I agree with more than this version, I think that's a better explanation. That came from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and they read it as angels. You made yep. him a little lower than this. You made humans a little lower than the spiritual beings. They were lower, but then you crowned them. You raised them up above the other spiritual beings and made them even more significant. Yeah, That's a commentary that's based on all this stuff I just said about this Enoch and the second temple literature. At the time this is being written, that's the prevailing view. The humans should be lower than spiritual beings, but God in his wisdom has elevated them above spiritual beings. Sure. Crowned us with glory and honor. And like you said, in Hebrews, well, we'll I think... We might go there, do we? I'm not sure if it's in this podcast or a, a future one. Um you know, it talks about Jesus being made a bit a little lower than and so the he angels. quotes this too. Yes. Yeah, for, yes. for for a just for a little while. Yes, he until. quotes. Uh, so he, that reference there in Hebrews one is is that that God has in Jesus become human yeah. and limiting himself down to lower. this lower yeah. state. Yes, sure. that's right. Yeah, fabulous. Verse six: You made them rulers over the works of your hands, and you put everything under their feet. That gives us power to. <laughs> What do you think? <laughs> Putting all authority. Now, so what do we have power over? All the animals and the yeah. birds and all that sort yep. of stuff. So this I is mean, Genesis 1 commentary right here? Yep. Yep. So it's not actual power though, is it? That's not what it's saying. It's, it's making you of, a ruler. It's Yes, that's right. Go back to Genesis 1. God said, I've given you authority over the birds of the air and the fish in the sea and all of this authority, but the purpose of that authority is stewardship. Yep. That purpose of that authority is you're supposed to make this look and reflect heaven. That's, yes. I want you to reflect, I want you to make the rest of the earth look like Eden. So authority is not supposed to be power over. It's supposed to be, it's, Jesus' power is always about come under and submit. Yep. The one who is greatest should be the least. Many Christians get this wrong because I think my theology, if I link Genesis 1 with Psalm 8 and other places here, I think this is actually a mandate for Christians to be ecologically minded. Yes. To actually care about our environment. Yeah. The prevailing view among a lot of fairly conservative Christianity has been, well, the earth doesn't matter because it's all going to disappear anyway, so let's just burn it up all the resources. I I know where that theory comes from. I I don't agree with that theory. I think this theory – this, this view, this theology actually says, I have a responsibility as a Christian to yeah. actually make the flocks flourish, make the wild animals flourish. Don't take away their habitats, all that kind of stuff. For sure, yeah. I mean, if we worship the creator and he wants animals and things on earth. Who are we to think we don't? Exactly, We should yeah. take them away. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, I think we've um, we've kind of covered most of this um, psalm now and, and – we, we did talk about what David was trying to do here to just kind of express the, the wonders of God. And, and I think it it, um, it behooves us all to stop and do this sort yeah. of thing a from time to time. A reflection on Psalm 8 would be beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Remember the old song, oh, sure. Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name and all the earth. We used to yeah. sing in the, in the 90s. But yeah. it's a it, it does. It, it's supposed to be a reflection. Yeah. It should stop and bring us out of our day-to-day and go, Yes, yeah. a big God, and He's coming close to me. And I think we do that, don't we? Um, you know, when we look at a, a, a huge full moon or yeah. a sunrise or a beautiful tree or something like yeah. that. And I'm, I'm preaching on a bit on the Garden of Eden um, yes. on Sunday, and, yeah. and you know, I'm going to have a look at look at that sort of thing. But 
those are the times that we really can sort of think about the bigness of God, can't they? But, yeah, yeah. but in saying that, we can still, even sitting in our, you know, our little flat in the middle of wherever we are, wherever, yeah, we can we can still open the Word and and have and this, meet this beautiful big poetry. God who comes close. Yeah, yeah, Wonderful. beautiful poetry. Good stuff. Yeah, great. Psalm eight's done. Yeah, beautiful. We're going to move on now to Psalm one, three, four. Okay, Psalm one, three, four. This is a little one. Three yes, verses. Three verse one. This one. Praise the Lord, all of you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is the maker of heaven and earth. It's a lovely little psalm. Mm. Now this psalm, I'll just get you to, to explain a little bit about this psalm. is a, one of a, a bunch of psalms called the Song, song of Ascents. Now I did a bit of, Bit of research, bit on of it. research on this, but let's go. What do you know sure. about Psalm of Ascents? Um, by the time you're listening to this, we're probably I probably discussed this. Or I think we've discussed this with Jeannie at some point in in a couple of weeks okay. before this. Yep. So the Psalms of Ascents are a group of Psalms. I think Psalm 120. I haven't got the numbers. You might have them written down. Psalm no, one, I didn't. 121 no. through to 35 or something. About 15 Psalms in there. 15. Yep. Or something like that. And these are they they were put together when they put the book of Psalms together as it was into, into this collection, but they are a group of songs that, that the, the people of God would sing as they were on their way to Jerusalem to worship. Yeah, right. They were ascending up to Jerusalem. If you, if you go there geographically, wherever you come from in Jerusalem, in Israel, you're going up. Up to, to Jer- up to Jerusalem, up to the up temple. To yeah. yeah. Up to, up to, up to the temple. Um, and so they would they would be down on the Jordan Valley. They would have to go up through Jericho or whatever. If they were coming up from south, they would head up through the Shephala, which is the lowlands into Jerusalem. If they were coming from the Galilee, they would still have to come up. So they would be ascending up. And as they did, they would sing these joyous psalms, come and let us go up to the house of the Lord and to the purpose of our God. And you'll see psalms that if you if you as you read all these psalms of a sense, if you think about the fact that they're actually coming up. And they're getting ready to celebrate and worship is like, come, let's go to the house of God. Let's worship together. So I've put that one, put this one in its context. It makes perfect sense as well. Because yeah. he's thinking sanctuaries, the, the, the writer's thinking sanctuary, thinking uh, Jerusalem, thinking priests in the temple, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, right. Another uh, another thing that I read was that uh, there's 15 steps that go up to the temple. Yes. And so yeah. they might, might stop on every step. They might stop step and sing. I've heard sing that, that too. What a, what a wonderful. What an amazing way to do it. Yes. Yeah. The, just beautiful, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I've heard that too. I can't clarify whether or not, yeah, it, it, what the reasons are for that, like the practice, whether or not there's record of that actually being practiced. I like that. Or but either yeah, of but them. Either, like either it, it's yeah. a sense of, it's an excitement. We're coming to worship God. Let's yeah. come up. Let's go to the house of Lord, yeah. the Lord, and, and, and I prepare think ourselves. Totally. And I actually house. think Hebrews yeah. is picking, Hebrews 10 is riffing off this when it's talking about. You've not come to a mountain that can be touched. You've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. Mm, yeah, yeah. There should be this excitement when we gather as God's people. Yeah. We should have more excitement than than the Jews had going to the temple because we are gathering as the temple. We yeah, are the temple. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. And I think 
just as we're talking about it now, it's just making me think and, and the topic we're talking about at the moment in church, yes. which is not immediately prior but, to this know, one, as you're listening to this, we've just finished a whole of church. earlier or whatever. Oh, no, it's only, yeah, it's only a couple of weeks earlier. Is it? Well, the yeah. holy church, yeah. yeah and, and the idea of preparing ourselves before we come to church. Yes. You know? Yes. I know it's not always easy with kids no. running around and, you know, traffic and all that, but if we can maybe get up a little bit earlier yeah. and prepare ourselves. Well, that's what songs of a sense are doing. Yeah. See, uh, uh, the 15 step thing, obviously they've gotten there already, but I think my understanding is as they're coming along and they're heading up from Jericho out of the Dead Sea Valley and it's it's a, probably a, a day's journey yeah. that as they're going there, reciting and singing these songs and they're preparing their heart. By the time they get there, I think it ends, the last one ends with, oh, how great it is to stand in your gates, Lord. It's like they're finally there. Yeah, yeah. So they've prepared themselves. Reminding themselves of who it is yes. they're coming to worship. So by the time yeah. they're there, they're there in spirit as well as in the flesh. They've prepared their minds. Yeah. I think we lose that if we, if we don't, if we don't um, prepare ourselves for the wonder of change. Yeah. We just rock up and go, oh, yeah, whatever. I, I mean, God can still move, but I think this shows me that we we get so much more out of it if For we sure. did what you said. And yeah, yeah, you're right. Kids, are, I mean, I have five kids. I know how hard it was. I was the pastor, and sometimes it was really hard to get to church yeah, on a yeah. Sunday morning. But there is things that we can be doing, but just stopping just for a moment. Yep. Lord, I'm ready. Whatever it is. Yep. And yep. and we can apply this to not just coming to to Sunday service, but you know, if we're going to a connect group or yeah, any time a Bible gathering. study or, or even if when we're going to work, you know, yeah. that's something I used to do when I worked in the building industry. Yep. I used to get to work maybe half an hour early and just sit in the car and have a coffee and read my Bible mm-hmm. most times and spend a bit of time with the Lord and pray about, okay, I'm going into this that's beautiful situation and, you know, let's, so you've taken, let's go together. You've, in you're there. then taking, you're not just coming to the temple, you're taking the temple out into the world. Yeah, that's you're, right. You're taking God into the world with you, which yep. is an extension. Yep. Of Take this. it out of my car and yes, it's under a, the yeah. building. Side. Take yeah. God with you, yeah. Yeah, it's a great, it's just a, yeah. it makes life a lot easier as a Christian oh, when, totally. you do, when you put in a little bit of effort, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. And I think here he's calling, the, the, sorry, the psalm, the psalm is saying, uh, it's, it's a call to the people in God to worship God, the servants of the Lord, you who serve at night in the house of the Lord. You you, you who are on night duty, you who are doing the, the hard work in the long hours, yep. praise the Lord. Spot on. Yeah. That's great. Okay, we're going to move on now. Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah 45, we're on to Cyrus. This is a big one. Yes, a bit of history here. Okay, you're probably more familiar with this one than me. What What is the overall theme of this? Of this particular this passage? Partic- yeah, I've got, I've got a few points I would like to look at, but what's your overall? You, so this yep. is a prophetic declaration about a king who will come to the throne um, of what was Babylon and becomes Persia um, in the future. And I won't get into the conjecture about whether or not this was written by Isaiah prior to it happening or whether it's someone claiming afterwards to have written it in the name of Isaiah. There's all kinds of arguments about that. I think I touched on that with Jeannie previously or Amanda or someone. But let's assume it's written this way. This is a prophetic declaration saying that there will be a man who will come to the throne in the future, his name will be Cyrus, and he will reverse what Nebuchadnezzar had done. The Babylonians had exiled 
God's people away into into Babylon, hundreds of miles away from their homeland. Mm-hmm. This one would come along and he would reverse that. And this is a declaration saying, Cyrus, you think you're doing this off your own back? You're actually not. Yep. This is God saying, I'm raising you up for this purpose to um, elevate my people. So historically, that's that's the context. This is this is a, prophet, a prophecy about the time when God's people would return from exile, physically return from the land of Babylon back to the land of Israel again. Yep. Right. And so if we have a look uh, just at verse 5 to start with, it says, I am the Lord and there is no other apart from me. There is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me. I am the Lord. It's repeated four, five times in this this uh, chapter. God's making a point here, isn't he? Yeah. I am Yahweh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the boss. I'm, I'm in the charge. Boss. Yep. yep. You think you're the boss? Uh-uh. You're not the boss. I'm the boss. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, um, well, you know, when, when, I read, when I read that and understand that he's the boss, it doesn't make me feel inferior or, you know, that he's standing up there with a big stick and he's going to whip. It makes me just so, so proud and, and to, to be able to serve under him and that yeah. he's looking after us and yeah. he's got it all under control. Yeah. It just, it takes a weight off, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, it does because he's got it. Yeah. He's handling it. Yeah. And that's what they're reflecting on here. Regardless of whether this was written after it happened or before it happened, let's park that for a minute. They're reflecting on it later on. They're getting the same reflection you're getting, which is, wow, we thought we were away from God's purpose. We we couldn't see a way forward, but but God had his hand on things. And there is actually a piece of archaeological evidence called the Cyrus Cylinder, which is about, uh, it's about as, big as two hands together. It's sort of a cylindrical thing and it's yeah. written all over it. And they found this Cyrus cylinder. And on this cylinder is something to the effect of the issues of decrees by Cyrus about things like this, this decree. Now, historically, what we know now from archaeological evidence is that Cyrus actually um, said this decree to multiple nations that had been captured. It wasn't just Israel. He had said um, to multiple nations, you're free to go back and re- rebuild your temples and reestablish your practices, and I'm going to restore you to your home. That was his. That was his philosophy. Rather than taking people away, he was going to bring them back. And there's all kinds of reasons why why they believe Cyrus might have done that. But this uh, this this prophecy shows that still it's God pulling the strings behind the scene and saying that might have happened. He might have let the you know Amalekites go back, and he might have let the Assyrians go back, or whatever. But this is God doing it for the purpose of establishing, re-establishing his purposes on the earth and re-establishing his people. Yeah, right. So it's this sense of God's in absolute control. Yeah. And they're reflecting on they're reflecting on that. Yeah. It's yeah. wonderful, isn't it? And if we read verse 18, it says, um, for this is what the Lord says, he who created the heavens, he is God. Don't don't be confused that that you know Baal is God or, or yep. Buddha or all those other whoever. gods that you yep. They didn't create the heavens. Yep. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. And he didn't create it to be empty, but he formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. So not only did he create the earth mm-hmm. and the heavens, but he wants it to be inhabited by us. And because of that, he does all this stuff to ensure that we 
get to inhabit the earth. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he he manipulates kings. And, totally. And even when the Jews had derailed God's purpose by their own sin, God's purpose was not going to be derailed. He said, well, if I can't do it through you, yep. if I can't fulfill my purpose through people who willingly want to serve me, I'll fulfill my purpose through a king who doesn't even know he's serving me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I will strengthen you, though you have not even, <laughs> You've not acknowledged, even acknowledged me. me. Yeah. That's right. Isn't, it's just, oh, it's that, once again, it's that thing it's of just, even when we fail, like Paul puts it this way, he's reflecting, he says, even when we're faithless, God remains faithful. Yeah. Because he can't disown himself, Paul says. That's, that's what it is. It's like God will fulfill his plan by hook or crook, as the, as the saying goes. Yeah. Yep. That's how big he is. Just wonderful. Yeah. Love sure. it. It's a great, great um, prophecy. Now I've got down here verse twenty through uh, twenty two to twenty five. Let me see 22 what twenty two to twenty five. What did I choose those? I'll get my page to turn over. Have you got it there? Yeah, I have. Let all the world look to me for salvation, for I am God. There is no other. I have sworn by my own name. I have spoken the truth. I will never go back on my word. Every knee will bend to me, and every tongue will declare allegiance to me. These are scriptures that are quoted in the New Testament. Mm. Yep. Beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. I said I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Yep. Sworn by my own name. Mm. There's no name greater to swear by. That's right. That's what uh, Paul says. Uh, Paul says it. I think when God was looking for someone to swear by, he couldn't find anyone greater than himself, so he swore by his own name. Beautiful, isn't it? Yep. Yep. It's this, this absolute confidence that God's plan will be established in the earth and he will fulfill his plan and his mandate for humanity despite humanity's constant rebellion against his plan. Yep. I think, did you, um, how far did you read then? To I the, read to the end of verse 23. Yeah, read to, Verse 24, was Yeah, it? let's go down to 25. The people will declare, the Lord is the source of all my righteousness and strength and all who are angry with him will come to him and be ashamed. In the Lord, all the generations of Israel will be justified, and in him they will boast. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, if you're at home and you're listening to this podcast and you don't you, you, you don't want to have anything to do with the Lord, just read that and think, you're wasting your time. Mm. You might as well just turn to God because in the end, he's every, every he's, knee. Every knee yeah. Yeah. he's the champion. He's, you know... Everyone who's raged against me will come to shame. Yeah. Why put yourself through that? Yeah, that's right. In the end, every knee will bow. Yeah. Yeah. And let's just just have a little think, think about this. Paul Paul quotes this psalm and refers it to Jesus. Sorry, quotes this prophecy and refers it to Jesus in, in Philippians 2. It says, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow yeah, and every right. tongue confess. Well, you can't help but think that's what he's talking about here. Oh, yeah. He's specifically sure. saying, because it says it there, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to me. So... So who is it here? Well, it's the Lord God here. It's the yep. Father here. And Paul equates it to Jesus. Just a simple little way of just showing how in Paul's theology, Jesus and the Father are one. That's right. Well, Paul had all that time, didn't he, from when he his conversion to when he started to sort of his ministry minister. Yep. As he reworks his faith. 14 years yes, or whatever, whatever it was. Yep. To, to understand all the scriptures that he knew so well. Yep. But look at them. And look at them through Christ. Through Christ. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's what he does. Yeah. yeah, it's great. Beautiful. Yeah. So might as well might as well give in now and do it as a delight rather than have to do it unwillingly. <laughs> Better to bow well. than me willingly rather than unwillingly. And it, that's the thing is, you know, to be, riff off what you just said, this is the best life. The life that is laid down for Jesus is true life. If you give up your life, you will find life, Jesus. Yes. Yeah, the problem yeah. is we keep taking from that tree and keep going, no, 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 I want life my way. I want life. I want what's good for me, what's right for me, 
Jesus was saying, well, you just put the fruit back on the tree and just trust that I'll give you the right. The, that's not yeah. the good fruit. The fr- trust me, I'll give you the real fruit. Yeah. Yeah. If you just bow to me, you'll actually live a fuller life, a satisfied life. You'll find your life in giving up your life. That's right. So I guess we could get into a, a quite a lengthy conversation about this, but and, and, it, and it's more than just, well, it starts with making a decision, doesn't it, mm-hmm. to, to trust that Jesus is who he says he is. And then it's allowing the Holy Spirit to, to really reveal more and more of Jesus in yes. you as, yeah. as you grow and grow. As we develop that, we'll become more like him. As we see him, one John says, as, as we see him, we will become like him, I think it says. Yeah. So the more we see him, the more we are. Just like the more you look at your mirror image reflection, the more you know what you look like. Yeah, yeah. Um, you yeah, know, the way, what is it? Uh, James says the one who re- looks into the perfect law of God and then goes away and doesn't do what it says is like a person who looks in a mirror, looks at an image and yep. walks away and forgets what they look like. Yep. The idea is the more we stick to Jesus, the more we look at him in his word, the more we discover of God. Ultimately, the, the more familiar with the reflection in the mirror we become, and the more we will naturally reflect that. Yeah, right. We won't forget. We won't what forget he looks that like when we walk away. That's from right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It'll become such a part of us that we naturally just live out that. Yeah. And and there's more of him and less of us. And that's yeah. a sliding process over time. But that's that should be the Christian discipleship journey. As time goes on, we're not where we want to be, but we're not where we were. Yeah. There's more of us, more of him, and less of us in our lives. Yeah. And so, if if there are people listening that are are struggling with this whole idea of of following God or following Jesus, or maybe you've decided to follow Jesus and it seems to be tough, hang in there yeah. because the Holy Spirit will help you. And that's great. Pastor Rowan will help you. Yeah, we'll all or help. We'll, we'll, we'll help commit. You. Yeah. All, all our brothers and sisters yes. are here yeah. to help each other yeah. get through that journey totally. to a place where we can feel that's like great, we can Jeff. stand on our own two feet with, with the help of the Lord. That's, yeah. such, that's the body of Christ. Because yeah. I think we get discouraged when we fall, but we realize that, no, we're on a, we're on a sanctification process. Yeah. And together, the more part of staring into the Word of God, part of it is doing community together, encouraging one another, spurring one another on, all that language that's in New Testament. Yeah. That's how we become more like Christ. Yeah, right. Okay, all right. let's move on. Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah chapter thirty-two. So when when I read through this, this this was this is my take on mm-hmm. on Jeremiah chapter thirty-two. I, I read it as God showing us that He doesn't just create, but He watches over His creation as well. Like we probably spoke about just a few moments ago, mm-hmm. He He administers and He intervenes when necessary. Yep. 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 He, absolutely. He builds up and He tears down. Right. For His. To get his purpose fulfilled on purpose, the earth. Purpose, yeah. yes. He's in, in control. Yep. But, but in doing what's best for us. Yep. Even though it may not It might not seem like best. it's best for yeah. us. Yes. Yeah, right. Is that what you mean? That's right. Yes, yep. that's yep. right. Yep. That's my take on, okay, on Jeremiah 32. Do you? <laughs> well, let's let's just quickly put it, let's have a look at this, the passage. So this is a, this is a, a, a practical outworking that Jeremiah does to uh, the God calls Jeremiah to do to illustrate a point. So this, this is, um, first of all, he, he's speaking to Zedekiah, who is the king at the time uh, just prior to the defeat of, of uh, Jerusalem 
Judah by King Nebuchadnezzar. It says, the following message came to Jeremiah from the Lord. It was the 10th year of the reign of Zedekiah, the king of Judah. This was the 18th year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. So what happened is Nebuchadnezzar had shown up at Jerusalem. He hadn't defeated Jerusalem at this point. What he'd done is he'd instituted this guy, Zedekiah. He'd taken off his, I think he took his uncle or his nephew away or something. And he said, I'm going to put you on the throne yep. and you'll be a vassal king to me. If you behave yourself and pay your taxes, we'll leave you alone. Yep. And Zedekiah did that for a number of years, 10 years at least, right? But then he decides to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. And a big part of what you'll read in Jeremiah here is God constantly through Jeremiah, going back to Zedekiah and saying, you're not faithful to your word, Zed. If you had have done what you said you were going to do and stay faithful to Nebuchadnezzar, because I'm working through Nebuchadnezzar, but you're not, you're going to take it, you're going to define what's right for you. You're going to rebel against him. If you do, all hell's going to break loose against yep. you. The Babylonians okay. are going to come against you. Yep. So that's the the concept. And because of Jeremiah said this, it wasn't a very popular word among the Jewish elite at the time, and they threw him in prison. Yep. They didn't like what he had to say. So, So just on that, what's... The message for us today from that that mm. sort of scenario? I think it probably is linked to this ultimate trust that we're talking about is that this had to happen. This time the Jews found themselves in of being under the rule of a foreign nation was, a, was, a, was the result of their own doing. It was the natural byproduct of what happens when they chose to do it their way rather than God's way. God's way was always that they would care for the poor, the widow, the foreigner, the orphan, that they would be a, a nation of justice. Yeah. And they'd gotten to a point where the kings and the elite had done the reverse of that. And they were abusing their own people. They were abusing their own people. They weren't reflecting God. And God's saying, the natural byproduct of that is, I'm going to tear that down because that's not good for you. And I stand up for the poor and the foreigner and the widow and the orphan. I stand up. I fight for them. I fight yep. justice for them. So if you're going to treat them badly, I'm going to judge you for that. And so, and that's that's what happened. And it was this two stage approach where if they had have just if Zedekiah had have come, he had the opportunity to come and be a different kind of king and actually reverse some of that. But he chose to do what all his predecessors had done and still done the same thing. I think the lesson for us is in we are all called to steward. God's creation. We're all called to care for the vulnerable, the weak. We are called to represent God on the earth. And if we don't, we may well end up finding ourselves in a position where we are, where God says, okay, I'm going to hand you over to yourself. Uh, C.S. Lewis famously said, either we will say, thy will be done, or God will say, thy will be done. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Your will be done. And so I think that's, that's the lesson for us. We can do it God's way, or we can do it our way. We do it our way, the byproduct of that will be hardship, pain. Yep. And Jeremiah is trying to say, God's going to have his way here. He's not going to, he's not going to let you continue to live your own way. He'll pull you down because it's not good for you. And it's certainly not good for the people that you're, you're mistreating. So th this raises a, a, a pretty interesting question in my head anyway, that if God appoints rulers and kings over nations, do we, how much do we uh, respect those, you know, those um, presidents and mm -hmm. prime ministers mm -hmm. and whatever? And should we work with them or should we rally against them? Oh, it's a big Jeff. one. I know it's a big That's, one. What do you think? What do you get out of this, basically, this story? I think we should work with them to a point. When they step over that mm -hmm. point, 
that's when we maybe should speak up. Yep. Yep. Okay. So uh, Paul um, Paul says to Timothy um, in the New Testament, I urge then first of all, first thing, top priority, that prayers be made and intercessions be made for rulers and all those in yep. authority, that you might live peaceful lives. Yeah, sure. So pray for your leaders that your life may go well. In other words, that, that, that your leaders will institute good values in society so that the community will work the way God intends it to. I, I agree. I think there is a lot of railing against authority, um, with, whether, regardless of where that is in authority. I think that's not the role of the church. I've been listening to a lot of reflections on Tim Keller's life since he's passed yes. away, a lot of different podcasts, people reflecting on his thoughts. And, and he, um, he got himself in some hot water not long after, I think it was just after he was diagnosed, um, because he... Because he made some stand, he, he he made a statement in a blog post, I think it was, saying that church, that Christ, the tr Christian church shouldn't be political. It shouldn't be partisan in its politics. Now in America, that's a that is a red rag to a bull because yeah. so much of the Christian evangelical, the white evangelical church has hitched itself to a Republican conservative party. And he actually his his view was, he said, the moment we hitch ourselves to one political perspective or another, we lose the right then to speak and be an independent voice on behalf yeah. of God to either side. Yep. Um, and he said, because there are times when God's values will align with a conservative party and there are times yeah. when God's values will align with a with a progressive party or whatever, or an economically progressive or conservative party. And he said, so if we can detach ourselves from having to um, do one side or the other, that enables us to be a voice for change, but also to be safe to represent and, and go, well, I, I, I'm going to be different to that. I'm going to treat the foreigner this way, or I'm going to look after the unborn this way and not feel like we're being disloyal to any one particular aspect of politics. Not to say Christians shouldn't or couldn't be involved in politics themselves, but I think his view was the perspective of the wider Christian church which should is that it's, it's most effective like this, when it's not political. See, he's not, um, Jeremiah's not pro-Babylon here. No. He's actually pro-God. Yes. But he's, he's able to go to God's representative, who should be God's representative, Zedekiah, who you could say, well, he's the king, and go, yeah, but you're out of line. Yep. You're not representing God here. And so then he, he seems like he's pro-Babylon. In fact, they thought he was because people thought he was defecting to Babylon. Yep. And he actually got out of this. When, when, when Nebuchadnezzar, or I think it's uh, Nebuchadnezzar's offsider, his, num his number one commander comes and shows up, and finally they walk in and overthrow Zedekiah and take him off to Babylon, um, they find Jeremiah and they basically say to Jeremiah, hey, you, you've been on our side. Mm. You do whatever you want to do. You can go here, you can go there. We're going to look after you. They found him still locked up in the prison right. when he shows up. And they said, what do you want to do? Because they've had enough to hear that Jeremiah has been, it appears that Jeremiah has been pro-Babylon. Yeah, yeah. But he hasn't been. He's just been pro-God, but he's been able to speak to it apolitically. Yeah. So that, that just shows how, how, how easily we hear something and just jump on board with it, yes. doesn't it? Without actually investigating. Investigating. Of it. investigating. Yeah, what's that actually yeah. about? Yeah. yeah. Investigating the nuance of it. and. And I've been having this conversation with a couple of pastors. Even I've only been back on leave a few weeks, but even, a few days. But even some of our team just talking through, um, you know, as as our listeners are listening to this, and you find yourself hearing certain discussions around whatever topics might be at the moment. Um, if I can encourage our listeners just to do what you do, be investigative. Don't automatically jump to a conclusion, even if it seems right 
or someone's told you or you just assume it's right, don't automatically jump to it. You might be right, yep. but just keep an open mind and, and be investigative um, and be available and open to nuance. We might actually find that um, we can uh, share the truth, God's truth in a way that is better. And then back to Tim Keller, I hate to harp on it, but I, I heard one of his primary quotes was um, that he his philosophy, that one of the guys was interviewing about his philosophy of ministry. And he was often accused of being too soft and too winsome and too, um, you know, not a hard line enough. And his view, and he was quite hard line. He maintained a lot of, you know, things where he could have in New York City, where it was very much a um, very secular and very liberal and very progressive. He could have uh, gone down that line. He didn't. He maintained what we consider some, um, you know, fairly conservative views on things that would be normally attached to the, the Republican Party. But he also had, he also spoke about things that would be attached to the Democrats like immigration and things like that. So he, he was able to bridge that gap. However, um, one of the things that he said was he quote, his mandate, this guy said his mandate was based around 1 Peter where it says, always be ready to give a reason for the, the hope that you have, a defense for the hope you have. And he said a lot of Christians stop at that point. But it says, it goes on and says, but do it with gentleness and respect. Yes. And he he said Tim Keller found a way to maintain his values, but do it with gentleness and respect. He's probably the master at that. Yeah, I would agree. And um, and I think that's maybe I would say that to all of us: have our values, investigate them, but let's let's find a way to bring truth with gentleness and respect. Yeah. And I think sometimes we don't do that as well as we could. Yeah, and I think it's important that we just pause when we think we know something. Pause and and check it out because, yeah. well, I, I thought it was. It's very difficult in this day and age. We've got to be so careful with what we say. But this has shown me it was difficult back it was, in those days. It was days. difficult for Jeremiah. It's always I mean, been difficult. This is a. I mean, Jeremiah got end up in jail for this stuff. Yeah, but he had. He felt compelled to say it. Yeah, we read. He shows up before Zedekiah. Zedekiah summons him one time, and he says, "Have you got a word for the Lord for me?" He goes, "Well, I have, Zed King, but you're probably not going to like it." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he gives him a hard word. And uh, he goes, what have I done wrong? Why am I in chains? Yeah. And Zedekiah is, is seemingly on his side a little bit, actually. He says, well, because he said that they're going to come and they're going to ask, what did the king say to you? And he says, oh, when he comes, just just say that he had a couple of questions for me. And he ends up back in prison again. But he was walking a very fine line. Mm. Um, Jeremiah, they call him the weeping prophet for a reason because he had a pretty tough ministry. Yeah. He, was, he was speaking to God's people at a time when the end result of hundreds of years of sin was crescendoing to a point of judgment. Yeah. Not a good time to be alive. No, especially <laughs> when you're asked to yeah, speak the truth. Speak the truth. Yeah. yeah. And he does this numbers of times. A whole another time later on, a whole bunch of people come to him and they say to him, uh, Jeremiah, what, should we stay or should we go? And he goes, I can tell you what God's going to say, but you're not going to listen anyway. Yeah, yeah. He goes, yeah, 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 we'll listen, we'll listen. He goes, okay, stay and trust that it's going to be okay here. They go, no, 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 we're not. And they actually pick up Jeremiah and take him to Egypt with them. They yeah. drag him down there. So they still didn't listen. Sounds Before, like a Monty Python thing, it's doesn't like it? You'd about bundle him up and take him off. You no, no, picture, no. Yeah, no, you can picture Monty Python exactly. Yeah. Jeremiah's story is, is actually this whole Babylon experience is really pertinent to the environment that we Christians find ourselves in right now. Yes. It's a superb book. If you really want to know how to handle this well, this is a few years old now, this book called Thriving in Babylon. Um, if you... If you want to see the era we're in as a Christian, let me see if I can find the name of the guy who wrote it while we're here, Thriving in Babylon, um, because we are finding ourselves. And it's basically a commentary on Daniel, uh, the book of Daniel, 
because Daniel, you know, is a man who was living in Babylon. So it's a, it's a few years after this story. It is by Larry Osborne, Thriving in Babylon. Great book um, to help us to think about how can we live in Babylon when yes. we are yeah. we are outside of God's will, but we still have to represent God. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. Great. Okay. I'm happy. Good. I'm happy too. Okay. We're going to move on to the New Testament. New Testament. And in particular, the book of Colossians. Colossians. Or the letter. The letter to Colossians. To, to what was the name of the town? Colossae. 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 Okay, we're going to take a look now at Paul's letter to the Colossians. Uh, four chapters? Yep, four chapters. Four chapters, okay. So in Colossians, certainly in um, chapter one, Paul is exalting the Lord to the church. Yep. Okay, he's giving thanksgiving and prayers about the, the how much he loves the church and um, and so we probably will skip over that bit that, you know, he's saying how great the people are yep. and how much he loves and his, them. And his regular greetings to them and so yeah, on. Yeah, sure. And we'll just have a look at verse 15. Uh, so I, I want to kind of concentrate on verse 15, 16, 17 and 18. Sure, which kind of fits with our creator theme, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. exactly. For this week. So verse 15. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Okay. So... We, we talked about this just a little bit before, didn't we, that Paul has worked out in his, his studies. As he's that, thin, thought through the, his yeah. understanding of the Old Testament creation accounts and he's Christified it, if that's such yeah, a word. Yeah, that's yes. right. He's put Jesus in the centre of it all. That's right, yeah. yeah. Okay, so verse 16, um, no, 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God. What do you think Paul's trying to convey there when he says the invisible God. So to a Jew, they, to the Jews of, of that time, they had no concept of God being visible. God would occasionally manifest maybe or, or, or have some form as the angel of the Lord as in the Old Testament, but their belief was that God was distant. He was up there. He was their national God in heaven, um, invisible to the eye, couldn't be seen. Uh, there's no... There's no image in the temple that they could look at. They could go and say, oh, that's the God. Yep. You know, no, none of that. They weren't allowed to have that. So they had this sense of God's up there somewhere. And Paul is, once again, bring, the bigness of God, bringing God close in Jesus and saying, what you see when you see Jesus, he's the image. Yep. He's actually the one that represents and shows you who God's like. That's that's the theory I think that Paul is working through here. Yep. When you see Jesus, you see God. And so when Paul says the invisible God, do you think the people would have understood that he's talking about the God of the Jews as opposed to the visible gods that 
you know, that they had all these? Yeah, good question. Good question. You know, was it just another way of sort of saying Yahweh or? I, I think he probably is thinking about the God of the Jews, but he's writing to Gentiles. Yep, sure. Yep. So, yeah, if we, it, this is Colossians, this, you know, he's writing to a church that's largely Gentile in, in makeup. Um, so, yeah, they would be used to the image being in the temple. Yep. And maybe they've come to worship God and realize that as they've become Christians and followers of Jesus, they've realized that, wow, this, this God that we worship, he's different to the others because there isn't an image in our temple. There's no, yeah. there's no temple we go to to find that God. So they would have an understanding of an invisibility that they might not have been familiar with in their pagan practices. Yep. There would have been a local temple that they would have attended and right in front of them, there's the God. Yep. You know, and where, where was it that Paul said, you know, um, this, this, I want to tell you about the unknown God. That was in Athens. Athens. Athens yep. yep. So okay. when his temple's everywhere. And he says, "Let me, yeah, exactly. The Similar sort thought, of thing, same sort yeah. of thought. I think, because there's there's a, there's a temp, there's a monument there to an unknown god. It's almost like they're hedging their bets. We we think we've got all the gods, but just in case there isn't, yeah, let's have another one. And um, and he uses that to explain this invisible god who, and it uses the same language. It's in Acts 17. He says, the, this invisible god created everything that has been made. So he's, yeah. he's reflecting and saying, this is actually the one true god. Yeah, yeah. So very similar thought. Yeah, good point, Jeff. I mm. thought of that. It's good, great. Um. Uh, yeah, okay, uh, 15, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all things, over all creation. So Paul's here again, he's kind of explaining that, you know, this is the God that created everything, isn't he? You yes. Know? Yeah. Which is what we're talking about today. Yeah, yeah. and it, bearing in mind that, you know, our theme this week is Father, I've said this already, the theme is the Father, and yet what we're about to see here is a lot of Christ centered son language and we've already done the son a couple of months ago yeah. but this shows this um, connection they're so intimately connected in fact all the great attributes of God whether that's creation uh, death uh, re regeneration love any any attribute of God you will find attributed somewhere in the New Testament to the Father the Son and the Spirit I've got a list somewhere that lists, lists them all and shows you the scriptures God is creator Christ is creator Spirit is creator God is God raised Jesus God raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus raised himself from the dead. He was raised through yep. the spirit. Yep. So you go through all of these and show how, in Paul's mind at least, they're all so intimately linked mm. that they are as if they are one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, first born over all creation. It says, is that what your version says? Yes. Yes. First born, first born, born over all creation. So this is complex language. Mm. Paul is, Paul is one of the, most intelligent people that's ever lived. He, he very smart man, knew the Old Testament. And I'm not going to sit here and be able to give all the answers to this language. This this kind of Colossians 1 language was what the early church um, councils were all about. They were wrestling with Paul's language in Colossians 1 and going, what does this really mean? The Council of Nicaea, which was um, a big part of the Council of Nicaea in 332, AD, something like that, was very much around what is the nature of Jesus? Is he creator or created? Yeah. And it's this kind of language. Well, how can he be creator if he's born? The firstborn, yeah. So yeah. come back to the language of what does the meaning of firstborn mean? Does yeah, that mean sure. he, he at some point he came into being or does that mean he was eternal? Or and This is what they were – yeah. why is it people that you and I were debating about? Yeah. yeah. Firstborn as in 
yeah, already there. Already yeah. there, yeah. yeah so yeah. that doesn't mean that he came at some point, or does that mean that yeah. he was – and it seems to me, I mean, this says he existed before anything was created. Yeah. This seems to be a very, very accurate assumption, which is Orthodox Christianity, that Jesus might have entered into creation at a point when he became lower than the angels, but he already existed. Yes, yep. It's part One of, of those God mysteries, isn't it? One of those yeah. mysteries, yeah. I looked up a commentary on this um, verse, and so so what it said was, the, the in this case, the word image means the real and essential and essential embodiment as opposed to the mere likeness. Okay. So okay. It, it, uh, it's actually more of a definitive word than just a reflection. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Because the sun is the image. So the sun is the real and essential embodiment. Okay. You found a commentary on that? Does it say what the word was? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, sorry, I don't have No, it that's okay. Let me, me look anymore. it up. I'm just going to do. He is the invisible. Of, he is the image. The word is akon, the Greek word. It's a likeness, literally a statue, a profile, figuratively representation, resemblance, image. So is it the same word in that? So that is the word used in Colossians 1.15, icon. Uh, the Greek word is E-I-K-O-N, used of the moral likeness of renewed men to God, the image of the Son of God into which true Christians are transformed. So we're being transformed into his image. Mm-hmm. So I'd be interested in that commentary because that commentary would seem to disagree with what sure. this says here. Okay. Um, because we, if we took that and used that word, and if it's the same word that says we are being transformed into Christ's image, well, we're not becoming Jesus. No, no. So no. I, so in the same, but it's absolutely, absolutely right. Jesus is the Father, but we're not being transformed into Jesus. We're being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. So I don't know that, that commentary. Yeah, yeah, I'll have. Um, yeah, yeah, I probably haven't got time to look at no. it right now, but I'll. It's I'll a good example of why it's you. good to wrestle with these things because yeah. look at all perspectives. I don't know. That's just what I've pulled up on Strong's Concordance right yeah. there. Sure, but okay. that could be just. There could be some really good reasoning for why they've come to that perspective as well. I think I looked on Bible Hub, mm-hmm. which I find really. Bible Hub is actually a good tool to use just to get there and in a hurry. Yep. I don't know if it'll still be there. Colossians. Yep. Here we go. Mm-hmm. This is good just for you listeners just to see. This is a simple little point of how you can dig and study. It says um, the word image, like the word form Mm -hmm. in Philippians 2, 6 to 7, is used in the New Testament for real and essential embodiment as distinguished from mere likeness. This is Ellicott's commentary Mm -hmm. for English readers. All right, so that would seem to... Contradict what I just read. Yes. So that would warrant some deeper digging. We won't do it now for the sake of our listeners, but yep. it's a good example of why we dig, yep. why we learn. Because hidden under this is a nugget that we're going to be able to take out. And one's not necessarily going to disprove the other. Because I told whether yeah. if, whether what I just said is true, it doesn't disprove the fact that Jesus is the Father. It's all over the rest of his text as well. So it could be either. Yeah. But it's worth digging into that. Yeah. Okay. Well, we won't, yeah, we won't labour on that for too long. But anyway, that's right. We, yeah, 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 sure. We generally have a look at a few different commentaries, don't we, and try and you know work it out. Yep, that's right. We we should study, we should research and learn, hear different perspectives, look at the text, all of that together. And you don't have to do this on everything, but but when you're interested, do this. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, verse sixteen says, 
For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Mm -hmm. whether thrones or powers or rulers or or authority. So visible and invisible. So that to me would conjure up the idea of the physical world and the spiritual world. Yeah, that's that's the terminology they're using here. Okay. So I think that's important that we understand that too, that God created everything. Yes, what you can you know. see and what you can't see. Now, yeah. a scientific brain goes straight to, well, that's the things we can't see, like the, the um, you know, atoms that we can't oh, see. Yeah. Well, that's, but that's not what it's meaning here. But once again, you're putting science over that because that's all part of the visible world. We can't see it, but it's part of the physical world. Yeah. But yes, he created everything you can see in the physical creation and all the spiritual heavenly realm stuff that's going on yep. behind as well. And so th- that that kind of supports the idea that, it's not like God versus the devil. Oh, yeah, good you thought. Know? Like yeah. the devil was the bad the, the king and, and God is the good king. Mentality, yeah. which is often in a lot of religions, is that somehow there's this um, balance between good and evil. Yeah. That's the under, it's the overarching belief in a lot of um, Eastern religions is mm-hmm. there's a there's a dichotomy, a balance between good and evil. And as long as that balance is maintained, the world works. That's very fundamentally different to the message of the God of the Bible, who, who is absolute supreme supremacy of goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what was I up to there? Visible and invisible. Verse 17. Mm-hmm. He existed before everything else and he holds all creation together. Yes, holds everything together. That was the bit that I wanted to look at. Yep. Holds it all together. I love that too. Yeah. Yeah. It's not us holding it together, is it? Ah, that's a good thought. It's all him. Yeah, I love the way you think. Yep, this is just an encouragement. I, I'm thinking, so my brain goes to how does he hold it together and what does that mean? And he upholds all things by his word and all that. Yeah. And you're just going, I just love the fact that he's holding it together. I love that, Jeff. <laughs> well, I mean. I really love that. That's the way you think. It's great. It is. And I guess I've got a, a childlike faith oh, in I love Christ that, that way. But I, I complicate things too much too often. <laughs> yeah. I guess when you think about it, you know, we might do things that help hold the world together, but it's only because, you know, the Lord's, you know, directing our steps. Well, it's to back that. to that same creation. So it's back to the stuff we were just talking about with Zedekiah and Jeremiah and all that. It's like God is working out his plan through it all. Yeah. Definitely. Right. Verse 18. He's the firstborn from among the dead. Yep. That That's great, I reckon. Yep. I love that. It's kind of, to me, when I read that, I think, well, when Christ raised from the dead, he's the first. It's never happened before. Yep. You know, but he's done it and that shows that. That we too. It's starting. That's, that's correct. Yeah. He instituted the new creation. The new creation. The resurrection, the new birth, the new life began with Jesus. Yeah. 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 Yep. Not before that. Yeah. No, he is the epitome of that. And now because of that, the natural assumption is that we too yes, will be raised from the dead. Mm-hmm. I think Paul puts it elsewhere. He says, it might even be in this passage, he says, you know, because he is raised, we too will be raised. Yep. Yep. And so I just wanted to have a look, uh, just to finish up in this chapter, the last verse, 29. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So here again, Paul is attributing everything that he has to Christ, doesn't he? I love that with Paul. He's just so fully surrendered in every everything, all the power, all the energy, all the 
things visible, invisible. It's just serenity. I think if Paul had the chance, he would have written volumes and volumes and volumes of of words to try to explain who Christ was to him. You know, yes, and he may, he may have done, and, and only well, a few of but a few of lists. But there's enough. There's a lot in here, isn't there? There yeah. is. Yeah. So he says he 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 he. My version says he works and struggles so hard. What does he say? Strenuously. Uh, Strenuously contend. contend. So that yeah. So here's contending uh, with the world, I suppose. Yeah. So here's a challenge. On one hand, he seems to be saying he's really trying hard. Yep. Right. How does that fit with our theology of it's not about you? You know. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? What yes, do you think sure. when you see it? Can you see a, a, a potential tension there? Yeah. Hey, you're trying in your own strength, Paul. You know, you, you're doing. Yeah. It, you're right. What's what's really going on there? Well, uh, yeah, I guess I see that he's he is trying hard to bring the 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 Christ to the world. Yes, but he he's recognizing that he can't do it on his own. Yep. That it's only because Christ is giving him yep. the energy and the Holy Spirit's helping. That's, helping. that's I think that's a good way to think about it. The reason I'm questioning that is because that's a simple thing that you could look at and go, let's compare that with where he talks about Galatians, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. Fruit's something that happens naturally. You don't have to work at it. It just comes out of you. Yep. Whereas he seems to be saying here, no, no, you, there's some work to do. You know, you have to do some work. And I think we could go to that point of going, well, I don't really have to do anything with my Christian faith because, you know, I'll just live my life for Jesus and it'll just flow out of me. That would seem to be contradicting what Paul's saying here, which is, no, there's an expectation to steward what you're entrusted with. You're not doing it working in your own strength. He says, he said, my version says, that's why I work and struggle so hard. I'm depending on Christ's mighty power in me. Yeah. But Christ's, he says elsewhere, Christ's love compels me. Mm-hmm. So as Christians, we shouldn't be laissez-faire about our faith. We shouldn't be laissez-faire about going, oh, well, you know, I'm saved. I can do what I want and when, when I need to live like a Christian and people will see that. No, there should be sense in which we've been entrusted with so much. Paul yep. would go, you make an effort to live this kind of life yeah. and make sure it doesn't go over into works mentality as though our salvation is dependent upon that. But Paul would still say, no, your salvation is not dependent on that, but because of your salvation – I expect you to work. Mm. I expect myself to work. He says elsewhere something like, "I this is why I beat my body. He's using figurative language there. But he's saying, I, I work really hard to give up all of myself for Jesus. That's that's the way he thinks. He's done so much for me. I'm going to give him my all. Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess when you're saying it, you're, our salvation doesn't depend on our works, but Maybe our salvation doesn't, but maybe someone else's someone salvation, else's salvation may, depend may depend on, on our works thought. or the, yes. the church. Yeah, well, that's he's saying that. He's saying, well, I want to present God perfect in their relationship with God. He, he's, you said it here. His contention is for other people. Yeah. He's giving up his own life for the sake of other people. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And of course, we're not saying here that, you know, I'm in control of your salvation no, or no. whatever, but... It could but be in the something. mystery of God, yep. he has chosen to use people to bring about his purposes on the earth. That's right. And the fact that I bother to read my Bible and then go to a, a Bible study, yep. you know, Christ working through me That's right. could help whoever's at the Bible study to... God has always used something. people to tell people about him. Yep. Even Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, an angel shows up. And the angel could have showed up and preached about Jesus to him. But he says, hey... Cornelius, I want you to send down the road and yep. find a guy called Peter and he'll come. Yeah. 
Um, there's multiple occasions of that. Even Jesus shows up and preaches to Peter, sorry, to Paul, to Saul on the, the road to Damascus. Jesus reveals himself, and that's an extreme case. Even with Paul, he then has to go and he has and and the Lord sends um El, El, what's his name? The guy that comes the goes and says, Brother Paul, the Lord has received uh, who you saw on the road to Damascus. I can't think of the guy's name now, it escapes me. Um um, the same name as the guy that it's got like killed Elias. by the Holy Spirit <laughs> oh, because he it. lied about the Holy Spirit. What uh, was their name? Sophia Ananias. Ananias. Oh, yes, yeah. same guy, Ananias. same name. Different yeah. guy, same name. Same Ananias. Name. That's yep. what's confusing me. Yeah. So he says to Ananias, Ananias, I want you to go and tell, reveal yourself, reveal Paul, reveal Jesus to Paul. God always uses people to tell people about God. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what Paul's getting at here. He's, yep. He, he, we labor for that reason. Yeah, right. And and just, I guess, I'm, I'm just thinking that through as you're saying that, I guess that the angels maybe have different jobs too. So that guy was maybe an angel, a messenger angel. Yep. yep. Well, Peter the word, was a preacher. The word angel means messenger. Yeah. And Hebrews tells us about the role of angels. It says angels are ministering servants sent to minister to those who will inherit salvation. Yep. Their job is to partner with humans to help humans to do the job. And let's let's take this language of God using people to tell people about Jesus. Let's let's take that theology right back to Garden of Eden. That was God's original intention that God would use humans exactly, yeah. to do his will on the earth, not to use angels. They, they had dominion over the heavenly realms. Humans have dominion over the the, the physical realm. Mm-hmm. God is always partnered. He doesn't need to, but he's chosen to use humans to do his purpose That's on the right, earth. Yeah. That's why we Back to what you just said, Jeff. It's absolutely right. My salvation might not depend upon it, but someone else's might. Yeah. And in some mystical way, we can't understand. God will God will achieve His purposes through, yeah, other avenues. If He can't find a Zedekiah, He'll use a Nebuchadnezzar or a Cyrus. Yeah. He'll even use a Cyrus, a, you know, a, you know, a pagan king if He has to. But what a privilege it is that we get to be invited in. Yeah. Right. To yeah. to do His will. Yep. Yeah, sure is. Yeah, I think it's a privilege. Wonderful. Mm. Okay, Doug, let's move on to um, chapter two. Now, in Colossians chapter two, the the way I, I kind of was when I read through this, I thought this is kind of Paul explaining to the church why he wrote chapter one. Mm -hmm. Um, So let me just read verse two, three through to four. Mm -hmm. Let me find where's two. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of, of complete understanding in order that, that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's definitely a, a hark back to what he's just said in chapter one, isn't yeah, it? He's a, yeah. So he, he lays this stuff out and then he says, this is why I'm telling it. This is you. what I'm passionate. This is why I'm here. <laughs> yeah. I really yeah. want you to get this. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. The, yeah. The, the, he doesn't just. Doesn't just state it and leave it. Well, he doesn't. Yeah. And he doesn't even discover this for himself and go, oh, beauty. I'm going to stay here in the Great cave thought. and just And just love enjoy God. God. Yeah. <laughs> he wants to now take this and share it with others. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, like I said, you and I have talked about this 
plenty of times. And sometimes we can look at the, at these guys, especially Paul and Peter, and think that they're kind of pretty tough guys. But, you know, when I read this, once again, I just see Paul's heart. Like, I get it. I really want you people to get it too. I yep. don't want anyone left behind, you know. he. he I feel like he just loves people so much yep. that he's just totally. given his whole life to this thing. Yep, he's stre- strenuously you know? contending, yeah. Yeah, as it said at the end of the chapter. Even when he hasn't got enough money to, yep. to get by, he'll go and build some tents yep. so he can keep on yep. preaching the gospel. Yep. That's it's lovely, right. isn't it? Yeah, that's yep. his prize. I think he says somewhere that my prize is, my great prize is being able to preach the gospel. Yeah. That's what, that's what my but wages are is basically what he says. Yeah. Okay, verse 8. There's a whole lot here that we're skipping over. And so, you know, hopefully everybody's reading through these passages. Yeah, you'd have to, I think you'd have to read Col- the, During the Colossians. Yeah. yeah, yeah, read read Colossians. It takes you 20 minutes to read it yeah. in a single book. Uh, this is this is a church that's just down the road from where Paul's been, but he's never been to this church, it would appear. Right, no. okay. So Epaphras, who was one of his disciples. So Colossae is inland. Paul's in Ephesus. And Colossae is probably um, 80 kilometers inland. And uh, Epaphras is a disciple of his. And Epaphras goes back to probably Colossae, which is his hometown, and plants a church. So Paul's never, he says, I've never met you personally, but his heart's very dear to them because it's just up the road. And, yeah. uh, and, he's, and it's one of his key disciples who's planted this church. So he's, it's like his, these are like his grandchildren. Yeah. So it's interesting, isn't it? When we have this something in us when when we belong to Christ we have this connection with yes. everybody else that belongs to yeah, Christ yeah that's right that's what you he's know? feeling here even though he's never met them personally yeah uh, he says something like that i don't know if it's in this chapter he says i want you to know right at the beginning i want you to know how much i've agonized for you which is what you just said mm. and for the church at laodicea laodicea which is also just up the road and for many other believers who've never met me personally yeah well, these are people who've never met paul yeah yeah and he's still Wonderful. got a heart contending for them yeah right and yeah. and that's why we can we can walk into any church and feel that homeness, that that yeah, yep. that welcoming arms wrap yep. around us, don't we? That we're all part of we're part of, of the family. family. Amen. Yeah. Love it. Beautiful. Okay, verse eight. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the element elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. He's, he's, I guess, like you said, he's talking to a bunch of um, Gentiles here that, mm-hmm. you know, their whole tradition would have been based on this sort of deceptive philosophy and element, <laughs> elemental spiritual forces of the world. Yep. And so he's saying, you've come out of that, hang in there. Yep. Don't, don't yep. be deceived. Don't go back again to that. Yep. Yeah. Hollow and deceptive philosophy. It's, it's so easy for us to... <sighs> I don't even know how to explain the way this makes me feel. Sometimes when I stop and I, I listen to some philosophies that people are sprouting mm-hmm. and think you've just said nothing and ah, you've got yes. all these people just flocking to you. Flocking to you. I, I watch. Well, that's cultish behavior. That's what cults yeah. have done. That's what all kinds of philosophers uh, and these false, hollow sounding nonsense they call it. My version says, empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and spiritual powers of the world. Yeah. So there's a spiritual force behind it. There's also just human thinking we know best behind it. 
You know, it's not yeah. all dark and spiritual. Sometimes there's a unity of that, but sometimes it's just people who think they know best. It sound might sound good. It's it's high sounding. It seems to make sense. But back to what we were saying, Jeff, are we really um what was it? Investigative, you said. That was mm. the word you are we prepared to investigate it in light of what we believe and know of the God of the Bible? Yeah. And 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 the thing that gets me is when I watched this program the the other day and there was I don't know if I should go into it too far, but there were there was people that had these this kind of new woke philosophy, and when whenever they're challenged on it, these these are university mm-hmm. professors and mm-hmm. and doctors and whatever, and whenever they're challenged on it, they just they either just hit hit, hit back with back. another question, yep. yep, or they say this interview is over, yep, they can't give any reason for what they believe. Right. It's just they've they've happened onto something. And they've brought all these people along with them, but there's no substance yeah, to it. And yeah, it's sure. just hollow stuff that, that yeah. frustrates me so much. And I understand that they're probably the you know, the dark the spiritual forces. Spiritual yeah, forces are too. kind of mm-hmm. Doing this, or yep. Yep, I, sure. I don't know what it is. It just, I, like I say, I, I hardly have words for it. I just need someone to at least give a reason for why yeah. they believe things. At least that we give a reason, don't we? Well, well we hope to. Yes, well, we that's what we, sh- to, we do yeah. our best to. I don't. So the, I don't think this is a um, this is a Christian or a non-Christian problem. I think this is a human problem. Mm. We we agreed. We struggle with anything that challenges our worldview on anything because it's fear-based. So I see this with Christians. I see this with non-Christians. I see this on conservative. I see it in progressive. I see it in all kinds of areas. I see it in different ethnicities. I see it everywhere. I see it in myself. Yep. We struggle to have our worldview challenged. And it's just simply because if I'm wrong on that, could I be wrong on everything else? Sure. So my whole worldview could come tumbling down and we would rather live with a lie or a deception. We might not think it is, but we'd rather live without the desire to challenge ourselves than to run the risk that maybe we're wrong on everything. Mm. But if I, I say this all the time, I tell myself this all the time, but wouldn't I, if I am wrong, wouldn't I rather know that I'm wrong? Sure. If I'm giving my whole life, to Jesus, wouldn't I want to do everything I can to make sure that I'm as confident as I can be that this is the right way to live my life? I should give up my whole life for Jesus. Yeah. Wouldn't I do the best I can? Am I, should I be threatened by someone who might question that? No, I shouldn't be threatened by it. I'm giving my life to this, so I should be willing to be challenged. Whether that's the worldview you're talking about, rather than just going, no, shut down the interview. Hey, I'm giving my whole life to this. I'm, I'm, I'm embracing this worldview. Let me let me be challenged enough to go to a different perspective. I, w- I was chatting with someone recently, uh, um, probably on a similar situation to what you're talking about, talking about philosophy, and I said, actually said, you're a school teacher. You've been a school teacher. I said, actually said to this person, um, would 
in school, we had to, in high school debate, we had to debate things whether we believe them or not. They actually taught us a debating yeah. technique. They yeah. said, okay, you're going to be the fors and you're going to be the againsts. And they didn't make any desire to work out whether you were for or against. They said, now I want you to debate that argument. One of the best things we can do, Jeff, is actually to force ourselves to debate the opposite arguments to the one we believe. Yes. Yep. Um, it doesn't, it's not scary. It actually helps you to see a different perspective. It might adjust some things. You might actually find you strengthen what you believe. Yep. But I'll tell you what else it'll do. It'll actually give you a degree of compassion for people who might be different to you. Because then you go, oh, okay, they're, they're not all bad people. They're, these are sh people with human thinking who may be controlled by spiritual dark powers or mm. maybe they're just trying to do the best they can. They're not all bad people. So back to what Tim Keller said, it gives us an ability to give a reason for the hope we have with decency and respect. Yeah. So be willing to be challenged. Sure. Yep. I think that's what Paul is saying here. Don't be captured by one side or the other. Be be willing to challenge yourself and be willing to be challenged. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen in the church very often. It doesn't happen in the world. Yep. I guess, I guess my point would be that let's not just hear something and just and embrace think, that's great. I'm going to do that. Actually stop and think about yep. it. Is there a reason for yep. this? Yep. You know? yep. And can, can you find a reason to believe it? Yes. Can you find a reason to believe it? Yeah. That's it. Reasons to believe, whatever that might be. Because as much, you know, as much as I think I think for myself, I know that I get swept away along just like a sheep. Yeah, <laughs> the media it's, it's influences me and whatever. Yep. And, you know, you know, we've all got to do, okay, we've all got to do that. Let's all go and do that and yep. without even necessarily thinking. Thinking it through. Yeah. Not, so. em not embracing nuance, not embracing the foundations upon which things are built. We, we, I've said this before. We often jump in at level three and think, um, okay, I believe this truth, but we haven't thought about yeah what got us to level three of the building. Yeah, sure. Because there's about three levels and about four basement levels below that that have we've built our worldview upon and we don't realize that's the bit that's unseen. The stuff under the ground we don't yeah. see. Yep. And we need to dig down, find out the philosophy behind that. And example of what you're talking about there is exactly right. Let's go down to deep rather than just go, Oh no, the whole building's going to come tumbling down. Well, we see it with apartments in Wollongong. Now there's a few that probably need to be knocked down because the <laughs> yeah. foundations haven't been built. Properly. Well, that's right. Yeah. So yep. let's redig the foundations a little. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I hope I haven't kind of, Stirred up too much oh, look, in people, but no, oh, it's just well back to what I just said. Let's let's create a culture, and you know we might get some Q and A out of this, because um, you know there's all kinds of social issues. We we can we can pick a number of social issues right now yep. um, that are that do have their. Um, we have to think them through a biblical worldview, um, so we might get some questions in our Q and A out of this, and I'll I'll do my best to address them sensitively. But as well as that, I, I would be saying to our listeners again. If you are genuinely looking for some conversation, I want to create environments where we can have robust conversation. Yes. Re do all this stuff. Wrestle with other perspectives. Not just assume we're right because we're Christians or whatever. We might be. Let's let's look at all aspects yeah. of things and create some environments um, on where it's safe to do this. To disagree well. Yep. Respectfully. To respectfully. To think well is the word you know, yes. I, I like to think. We, we need to learn to think well. Yeah. And I'm concerned that I don't see a lot of us thinking. Well. I don't think I think well as, as well as I'd like to and, and I'm aware of it. Mm. But I'm aware how often I see people making statements and it seems to me you haven't even thought through that statement. Yes. You just blurted it out there and haven't even thought through it. That's the implications right. of it. And they seem to have loud voices as well. And, yeah. You know, it, <laughs> Just the other day, this thing that I watch, I just thought, I just want to move to a desert island where there's no, no, <laughs> where there's no one else to 
No like, media, no, you know, I'll just take my Bible and off I go. Yeah. Which I know we can't do that. Yeah. It sounds lovely, doesn't yes. it? Like, but That's not what we're called to do, Jim. No, it's not what we're called to we're do. Called we're called to live stay and engage in the world. Exactly. I mean, not of the world, but engage That's in the right. world. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I had my little, you know, little couple of hours of, <laughs> of thinking what's going on here. I just The world's gone mental, but anyway. Yep, we got there. You got there. I don't know if that's the right word to use, but, you know, the world's gone silly. Yes. It probably always has been. It always has been. Okay, verse 10, let's move on. Um, In Christ you have been brought to fullness, for he is the head over every power and authority. Uh, verse 9, I suppose, says, In Christ all, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Yep. So... No, once again, Paul's not saying here that. Yes, yeah, back to Colossians one, the image of all creation, the firstborn, all things were created through him. This is everything about God you can find in Jesus. Yep. Jesus said the same thing. He said to Philip, "Hey, Philip, if you see me, you've seen the Father." Yep. And we don't have to be panicking about uh, powers and authorities, do no. we? That you know that he's in charge of it all. Which is so. probably how you settled down out of the previous rant, is that coming yep. back to that sense of going, oh, God's got this. <laughs> yeah, no matter how much humans, why do the nations rage, Psalm 1 says, and, and, and they quoted in Acts 4, you know, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? They're, they're raging against the God of creator of all. Yep. He, it's, it's, God's going to get his way in the end. That's right. What I did was open my Bible to Psalms. and Good. And I read a few Psalms yep. and I, actually I wrote a, bit of a poem about it too that, that oh, helped yes. me sort of yes. think it through and yes yeah great you know yeah well done that's a good way to reflect on i think it is a good way isn't it sometimes yeah. you well know, it's the best way See, so back to acts when 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 peter and john are told you can't preach in the name of jesus they go back and they go to god about the problem they don't rant at the society they go to god with the problem first and foremost they say lord you made the heavens and the earth and they yeah. reflect on the greatness of god and then yeah. out of that they flow yeah Rather than ranting against society, they go to God, say, God, you have your way. We want to serve you. And then it says they were sh- at the place where they were shaken, where we were praying was shaken, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So there was a, a courage and a, a re-establishment of commitment to live out the gospel life that came from, um, from being in God's presence and going to him with the problem, not going at the world with the problem. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Rightio. Um, verse 15. And 16, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. That's a powerful. It's actually a political term. That would have loaded up a whole lot for them because that's what an ancient king did. They take the foreign king and they would disarm them and they would roll them through the streets, but usually like with a chain around their neck, dragged along behind a procession and that's that's what they're thinking, and Paul's saying that's what <laughs> that's what the Lord did with the enemy, made a public spectacle of them. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yeah. And 16, therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. I know what I think this is about. What do you think that um, verse is about? Well, it's very similar to what he says in 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans 14. I don't know that I've ever wrestled with it. I'm, I, first thing that struck out to me when I just heard you read it then, Jeff, was it seems to be out of context with the rest. It's like it seems to, in this particular context here, it's like, where'd that come from? Okay, yep. I, I just go, 
suddenly he's on to he's talking about this ethereal stuff and and and, and not arguing high-minded philosophies. And now he's going talking about what you eat and drink. Maybe the high-minded philosophies are the whole concept of this religious practice. Yep. That's what he's talking about. So he's saying this this empty philosophies of what you eat and drink and what you do and don't do and where you do go and what you celebrate and what you don't that's all empty philosophy saying yep. that don't don't be condemned by that. Maybe that's what he's saying. That's what I think it is. Yeah, I think it has to be actually. Yeah, but I've never thought of that before. I think he's saying Jesus is the way. Yep. You know, you don't need all these to do's and empty, don'ts. And yeah, empty, empty, empty stuff. Empty stuff to Jesus get you there. is the way. Regardless, yeah. I mean, you yeah. might you might partake in religious festivals, but that's not that's not the answer. That's not the answer. Yeah, I don't think let, don't right. let anybody tell you if you don't if you don't show up to this and do it this way and observe this festival yep. and go to this thing, then you're going to be, um, you know, you're out of line with your God. Yeah. That's right. That yep. just makes it way too hard. To, yes. Doesn't it? Yeah, that's yep. right. Yep. Okay. Verse 20. 2020. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? I was hoping you were going to go here. Good. And 21. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Keep reading. because These rules yep. which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. What did you want to this is say a, on this This bit? is a really big passage in my mind. This is a fundamental commentary on human behavior. As a pastor, mm-hmm. I've seen this play out in my own life. I've seen it play out in virtually every person's life. It, it's like a, a timeline that every Christian, every person goes through as they develop with, with their understanding of God. What happens is there are certain behaviors in our world that God calls us to lay down because they're not good for us. Or at the time, there might be an idol in our world. Some of them might be bad. Some of them might just not be good for us at the time because yep. they've become too idle, we've become too strong. Now, what happens with all humans is when we lay that down, we suddenly feel better about ourselves. Oh, I'm not, I don't do that anymore. And it leads, and it's not that the it's good to not do the thing, but it actually can very quickly become a degree of self-righteousness. And I'll yeah. see this with a, a person who uh, used to behave in a certain way, became a Christian, and suddenly they've, they've stopped doing that thing. And now anyone who does that thing, in their mind, is a sinner. Yes. Suddenly they feel better or more holy or more righteous than everyone around them. And they become self-righteous. Yep. Now, I don't think we can circumvent that process. I think that's part of the process we go on. But as we mature, we should get to the point where we realize that, oh, actually, it's not a sign of my maturity that I don't do that thing or I don't watch that or I don't go there or I don't drink this. It's not a sign of my maturity. It's actually a sign of my immaturity because it's a sign that that thing still has a hold on me. But as I mature, I'm actually at a point now where I can actually maybe pick up that practice or drink that thing or go to that movie or do whatever without it necessarily affecting me anymore Sure. because now I've reached time a, a period of greater maturity. And when I get to that point, I'm much more gracious and humble with the people around me, sure. which is what he's saying here. He's saying 
Verse 23 says, these rules that you put on yourself, don't go here, don't touch this, don't handle that, all those rules, they look like they seem wise. He says, this is NLT says, they seem wise because they seem like they require strong devotion. It's like, oh, you know, you're a real Christian because you don't do there and you don't go there and you don't touch this and you don't taste that and you don't go there. They look good because they require strong devotion because they seem to have this pious sense of self-denial and this severe bodily discipline. Oh, you know, I'm a real Christian. I don't do that stuff. But this is the clincher. He says, but they actually provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. What does your version say there right at the end of 23? Uh, the harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Yep, yeah. they actually r- lack any value. What version have you got there? NIV. Okay, so I'm going to look at it in the New King James because I think from memory, a bit hard without my glasses on, New King James. So when when I read that last bit there, I was thinking of, you know, the flagellation where people yep. whip, whip themselves yep. and treat their bodies yep. Badly to, to somehow yep. atone for their Yep. Sins. So that is an extreme case of it. You see this in yep. aspects of Orthodox Christianity, extreme Orthodox Christianity. I suspect, though, that we've got to bring it back to a much – because it would be easy for us to go, oh, we don't whip ourselves. Yes. Yep. That's an extreme case. But I actually think that we – there. Are, oh, I go to church every week, not like those other Christians who only come to church every month, every month. Yes. I know, yeah. You know, um, I read my Bible every day. I read my Bible. I do this. And it's still the same root sinful it's self-righteousness at its core and it's sure it's different um the new king james says they have false humility they neglect the body but they have no value against the indulgence of the flesh yeah so the very act of not doing the thing is actually feeding the the fact that now i feel like i'm more righteous and more holy and paul is saying don't live there and he's talking in this context of certain people are doing certain behaviors. And like you said, yep. they're observing certain festivals because they feel more holy because we keep the Sabbath and you guys, you Gentiles don't keep the Sabbath or yeah. whatever. And he's saying none of that will actually do anything but feed self-righteousness. Yeah. yeah. So the maturity process is getting to the point where Paul gets to the point in 1 Corinthians 14. If you're going to read Colossians 2 here, you need to also read 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans 14. Same things. He says, all things are permissible for me, but not everything's beneficial. Yep. I won't let I won't do something that will cause a weaker brother or sister to stumble. Yep. So he gets he's gotten to a point where he goes, I can eat a meat sacrifice to idol, but I don't need to. It doesn't affect me, but I won't do if it's going to cause someone else to stumble. I won't drink alcohol in front of someone if it's going to cause them to stumble, even though I can drink alcohol. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. That's a sign of maturity that we should be aspiring to get to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Yep. Great. He's a he, he covers a lot of things, old Paul, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, he's so rich. Mm. You know, Peter says that he goes. I know his stuff's hard to understand. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Peter even acknowledges that it is. Just like it? our dear brother Paul writes you. I know. I know it's hard to understand sometimes, but stick with it. A lot of it's a bit hard to understand, oh, and, yeah. and I guess that's. I'm going to talk about that a bit when we hit Hebrews. Sure. Because anyway, yep. we'll, we'll talk about that later. Later on. Later on, maybe a month down the track. Yeah. Or sure. Yep. Okay, Dave, that's um, chapter two. Yep. Done with for me, anyway. So, in chapter three, this is my take on it. Paul kind of talks uh, about putting off all the old earthly ways. Yep. Okay. Now, I want to look at verse 10 and 11. 
Okay, let's start in nine. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Okay. Hopefully they've done what Paul's just been talking about in chapter two. Yep. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, 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 slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So we put on this new self. We're a new self here, yeah? a new creation. Would yep. you agree with that? Yep, yep. Um, to replace your – this is fruit of the – this is Galatians' language again, much later on in his life, but it's replace anger, wrath, uh, works of the flesh, allow through the process of focusing on Jesus, allow Christ's fruit to flow out of you. Right. And I like here where he says – we're being renewed in knowledge in the image of the creator. Mm-hmm. So the knowledge part, I guess, is the part that I wanted to maybe have a little talk about. Yep. As opposed to laying back in a hammock and just allowing. It all just to happen. Yeah. Imbibe it. <laughs> a Holy Spirit to engulf us or <laughs> yes, something. Yes, yes. You know? Knowledge. Knowledge. What do you think that means, the knowledge in the image of the creator? Um, I, I want to do a study because I don't exactly even know what the word Greek word would mean there. Um, if, if assuming it's an accurate translation, I think it would be telling us what you just said. I think it would be telling us that we need to um, work at knowing God. We need to work at knowing about God, mm-hmm. uh, and that might be counteractive to some Pentecostal experience, which has always been: you don't need to know stuff; you just need to experience God. You know, you don't need to know about God; you just need to experience him. And some of that's been justified because there are lots of people who know about God and don't know God personally. Yes. You know, you go to a liberal theologian scholar in a university, they can they can quote the Bible back to front, but they don't personally know Jesus. Yeah. Um I suspect though that Paul was a very reasoned man, very, very smart man. C.S. Lewis would be a good example of this. I mean the guy was brilliant. Yeah. Um and he had a deep personal encounter an an acknowledgement of a relationship with God, but he set about in the latter years of his life knowing everything he could about God. So I think that's what Paul's saying here. He's allowing knowledge. Don't be scared of knowledge. Yep. Maybe that am I reading into what Paul's not saying there? I think that's what he's saying. Don't be scared of knowledge. I think that's what he's saying. That we need you know, that's how we learn about Christ by by listening to preachers, by by reading our Bible. By questioning things. Yeah, by podcasts, by Bible studies. Yep. I know the Bible study that, that I have up here, the men's Bible study, I don't know, we have eight or ten guys get together and, my goodness, some of the wisdom that comes yeah. out of those yeah. guys, you know, whether That's, they've been in the church for forever mm-hmm. or they've only been for a few years, there's so much yeah. that we can learn from each other. Yeah, and that's how we get renewed in knowledge. <laughs> yes. That's how we're putting on the new man, it says there. Yeah. Yeah, I think you have got the New King James. You said it was the NIV. It must. Be, I opened up the New King James now, and it's exactly what you oh, were it's just the reading. NIV, yeah. It's the New King James, I think. Yeah. yeah. So yes, it's right. I think knowledge is a good thing. We shouldn't be scared of it. Yeah. Right. Um, so where did I get up to then? Yeah, uh, the end of verse ten. That is, or eleven. Okay, verse 12, 12 through seventeen. I think that's worth reading. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Would you like to read this for me? Sure. I've got the New King James open, so you can tell me if it's the same as you. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. That's all Galatians language there, Mm -hmm. Galatians, through the Spirit. Bearing with one another. Forgiving one another, that's Ephesians as well. If anyone has a compliment, complaint against each other, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of God, Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Beautiful. Before you ask a question, let me make a comment there. Throughout that passage I just read, there are word-for-word quotes in Philippians and Ephesians. Yep. Um, You can go and link them up, right? This is one of the reasons they believe Colossians, Philippians, and Ephesians were all written within a matter of a few days of each other. Yeah. Because they it's the same train of thought coming up. Yeah. Time and time again. That's right. And that that, that clearly happens, doesn't it? Yes. As humans. You know, we all do that. Of course we do. Yep. You know, if I'm preparing yep. for, a, for a sermon and uh, I come up here to pray during the week, yep. I'm thinking yep. about the stuff. Or I'm you thinking. sit in a conversation with someone, what's in you right at that moment is going to come out of you. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Sorry, I cut you off there. I just thought no, it was that's interesting right. to note that. Yep. It's not exactly the same. Yep. It's not exactly this the same. This is okay. NIV. It is NIV. Okay. Trust me. Cool. I, know I thought Bible. so. Then I thought you read something that was exactly the same. <laughs> Sometimes they are exactly yep. the same, aren't they? But so so all this stuff, you know, humility and gentleness and kindness and, you know, these are all things that we think, oh, if only I could be like that. But this is a point that I, I really want to get across to people is that we are are new creations. Yes. We don't have to be bound by the way we used to think, yep. the way we used to talk and whatever. And if you ever find yourself drifting back into those old ways, remind yourself you're not the person you were when you were born. You're a new creation. You don't have to yep. let those things drag you yep. off track. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a process of little by little change. Yeah. Be encouraged. Don't be discouraged. Yeah. We beat up on ourselves and Paul's saying, no, 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 put on new stuff. Yeah. Little by little, you become more like him. Yeah. That's a, a thing that I've used in my Christian walk to really help me. And um, specifically, I guess, in an area where uh, of tithing, you know, I thought in my old life, I was taught, you know, you work, you keep your money for yourself. Yeah. And that's... That gets embedded into your thought. Yeah. Look after myself. Now all of a sudden I'm being asked to to, to think about others. To be generous. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Whether it's tithing or, or whatever yep. it is, but to be generous. I think, oh I, I don't know if I can do that. I'm too it's too ingrained in me not mm. to be. And then God says, Hey, you're a new creation. That's great, Jeff. You don't have to think that way anymore. Yes, that's right. Let, Let your it go. thinking be transformed. Yeah. Beautiful. Romans twelve one. Yep. I say beautiful a lot, but this. Yeah. I don't know a better word to describe. I love the way Christ. you 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 are practically applying a lot of Paul's thinking to your life. You do that really well. I've always thought that about you. So you know, you, you're just thinking. Well, Paul says it, so I can trust God. So I will. Yeah. Yeah. And and let that process change. You don't have to be bound by the previous. Yep. Absolutely. Right. Now, 
let's jump down to verse 18. There's a lot of stuff we could talk about here that, you know, is quite controversial, but it doesn't have to be. So verse 18 um, through 19. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is, as is fitting in the Lord. 19. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. And goes on, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, don't, uh, do not embitter your children. And then it says, slaves, obey your earthly masters. And, and uh, it just goes on to say, look, look after everybody. Treat each other nicely, yep. I guess, respectfully. Yep. So what, what's your read on this, Pastor Rowan? This is very similar to Ephesians 5. Um, in the New King James here in Colossians 3, it says the Christian home. Uh, they call it the household codes. Mm-hmm. So once again, written at the same time. Um, I'll go back to the NLT. It says instruction for Christian households. Yep. Okay, that's the title. What we need to first of all do before we start to unpack the specifics of it, which is what Christians do, they just jump straight into the specifics of it. This is what wives have to do. This is what husbands have to do. Let's put it, step back up and go, what is Paul instituting here? Paul's instituting that the Christian home, the Christian household needs to operate under a different set of principles to the Roman household. Yep. We need to compare this not against 21st century uh, understandings, which are informed by this teaching, but let's compare them against what Paul's putting them up against the Roman households. Yep. The Roman household is incredibly patriarchal. The Roman household, the, the patriarch of the house had absolute authority. The women, the children, they were completely underneath. Had You did not speak to the wife. You did not speak to the child. You did not do anything with that household without going through the patriarch. And the slaves were, um, you wouldn't give the time of day. What Paul does here, first of all, is even before he speaks to the patriarch, he speaks to the woman. That's, that's inflammatory right there, that he would yes. presume to actually, to a Roman household, you did not speak to the woman. You see this in, mm. in Middle Eastern cultures today. You don't talk to women, women don't talk to you. Paul is actually elevating the women in this perspective. He's saying, I want to show you how a Christian household can look. And it's radically different. Yeah, There is a radical equality here. There is, yes, there are expectations on the wives. There are expectations on the husband. There are expectations on the children, but he is doing the household code. He's resetting a new way of living and he's trying to, he's doing Garden of Eden reset here. He's saying the church should look very different to the world. Yeah. I want you to be a little pocket of Eden and live differently. Yeah. That's great. Uh, that when you said, you know, let's take a step back and, and look at the big picture. Yeah. I think that's really important, isn't yep. it? This is a good like example say, of what's important. You know, I've, I was in a connect group one time and we were, we were studying Colossians and I read that wives submit yourselves to your husbands and. And there was a a lady there who had only just joined the church and she's like, I'm out of here. I'm never coming back again. Yeah. Yeah. Because just those few words were very triggering to yeah. her. But we didn't get a chance to... To go deeper. I probably didn't even understand right. the deeper because yeah. I was only a fairly yeah. new Christian myself. Well, if we put a Western mindset on it, it seems like Paul's ha- ha- hounding the wives before he talks to the husbands. He's yeah, going, yeah. But it's actually the reverse of that. He's actually elevating the woman by saying, I'm going to give you the decency of speaking to you first before I speak to your husband. Yeah. Yeah. But you obviously didn't get a chance to share that no. theory and all that. So, um, I mean, I shared it with the people that stayed. Stayed. Oh, it's tragic. But, <laughs> but yeah, the, yeah, the scripture. I mean, you had no control over that, Jeff. But there are people who do have control over that. 
and still don't know what I just shared. That little bit of information I just shared should revolutionise the way we think about yeah. passages like this, the household codes. I suppose we could always, once we do understand it, we can preface yes. this preface passage before we read it. By yeah, by explaining what this is about. Yeah, maybe we should have done that. Hopefully, we haven't switched anyone off before <laughs> just by reading it. But yeah, hopefully, yeah, yeah, we can well, unwind hopefully. some of that and yeah. help people to see this stuff. Yeah, sure. Yep. Okay, that's. I think that's um, Colossians chapter, three. Chapter three. Chapter four. So, uh, my Bible, the the headline here is further instructions. So Paul's done all this stuff, and it's like he's written this letter, and he's gone. What else do I have? I'm to ready say? to put it in the in the, <laughs> the, the letterbox. Oh, hang on. Percent on the email. Yes, there's yes. a couple more things. Sure. Yep, a couple more things. Number one, start at verse one. Uh, Verse no, one is actually there is no verse one, is there? There is a verse one, but verse one is actually this is one of the places where you can show that the chapters have been put together by later on because verse one yes. actually continues the household codes. Yeah. It's, I don't know why they put verse one there. It's Masters, funny, isn't it? be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you have a master in heaven. That belongs to the household codes. That actually belongs to the end of chapter three. Yeah, it definitely does. Definitely does. Yeah. And so you, I'm looking at your Bible there. You can see there's actually a break. You know how there is a break. They've yeah. kind of got this as part of the previous yeah. chapter, so you'll notice that. So that's just a lesson to us that those chapter and verses for new Christians, they, they weren't put there by Paul or the writers. They were put there later on, and sometimes they get it right and sometimes they get it a bit wrong. <laughs> yeah. So really, chapter four's thought, the, the, the postscript, the PS you spoke about, starts with verse two. Well, I guess, I guess you could say that, you know, Paul wrote that stuff about slaves, you know, working – for your masters and whatever, and then he went, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. Yeah, he so, could he could have, yeah. He could, it could, it could have be been a postscript, I an suppose. An addendum, if is yeah, that the right yeah, word? Yeah, an addendum, yeah, or, yeah, yeah an appendix. Post, yeah. Yeah, it could be. I mean, it's, it's, it's the same train of thought, though. He's, he's still definitely referring to the previous stuff, yeah. Yeah, right. Okay, so that's what he said. Uh, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. So, you know, these days we would say – if you work have, hard for your employer. Well, this is talking about masters oh, master, sorry, providing. Your, yeah. The opposite. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. if you've got someone that works sorry, for yeah, you master. or whatever, yeah, look treat after them, them. Well. Yeah. And that's um that's back to what we talked about. That was the problem that got them into exile in the first place, is that the masters weren't caring for their slaves. They weren't caring for those other. Yeah. They weren't providing for them. They weren't showing them God's love. And it's so vital to God that he would say, Well, actually that's that's the opposite of what I'm about. So yeah, do it. Yeah. Yeah. Can can you imagine when the, whoever this Christian person is, who's the ma- Christian master, invites their friends around for dinner and they treat their slave well. They're like, what are you doing? What are you doing that for? Why did you let that guy speak? Or yeah, that guy yeah, even that's right. Why is he even in look the room? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why aren't you yelling at him? You yeah. see how radically different this is? Yeah, something's different here. Something's different here. Yeah. yeah. It's great. There's a superb book called, um, a superb fiction book called um, The... Um, uh, it'll come to me. It's uh, it, I've just lost the train of thought yeah. on it. It's a it's a fictional book that's written um, about um, one of these fictional New Testament churches that appears and the way they live out their lives. So yeah. um, I might I'll pop it in the show notes. Or okay, it'll come back to me. But it's a really good insight into how this works. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. So verse two: Devote yourselves to 
to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Yep. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So he's asking them for prayer now. Yeah. That's right. And so we should take from this that maybe we should pray for our leaders. Yes. Know, yeah. Because they need it. <laughs> and and those of you who are gathering leaders, small group leaders, connect group leaders, ask your people to pray for you. If you're in leadership, yeah. ask your people to pray for you. Paul's out. Paul's got no problems asking people to pray for him. That's a yeah, it's a that's a, a powerful thing, yes, isn't it? You right. would have done this plenty My of times. My wife's much better at this than you I know? am. She's much better at saying, I need some prayer. I need people to pray for our family and reach out to a few people yeah. and ask them to pray. She's really good at this. Sure. And I, I know I've done it in, yeah. you know, in different connect groups and whatever, yeah. and you know, when I, that I've been leading like, hey, I'm not above this. No. You know, I no, need it as right. much as you guys need it. Yeah. Definitely. Help me out. And it, it, it's a wonderful experience to do that, actually. Well, it's body of Christ ministry. It's yeah. caring for one another. It's this same thing again of those in leadership Asking and you know, asking for others to it elevates them. It's not that it's not using them. It's people. What I get to pray for Paul, he's asking. I'm important yeah. enough that he would ask me to pray for him. Wow, that's I've never met this guy. Yeah, but he's asking for my prayers. Wow, I feel honoured. And it's incredible some of the what the treasures that come out of yes. people when they when they when start you ask them to pray. For, them isn't pray. It? Yeah. Oh, I've seen it so many times in my life. Sure. Yeah. Well, all right, I've just found that book. It's called The Lost Letters of Pergamum. I think that's the one that is worth reading, The Lost Pergamum. Letters of Pergamum, for those that want to. It's a fictional story, but great insight into the early church. I'll show you some of this household code stuff. For those of you that can't see what Pastor Owen's doing, he's got about 300 books on his... 224 titles, it says, Jeff. 224. <laughs> and my audible songs. He's listened to all these books. Uh, I've not listened to all of them. I've listened to most of them. Uh, there's another, same Priscilla. Uh, actually, yeah, I think that's the... The, the one I'm thinking about is The Lost Letters of Pergamum, but there's also a wonderful book called Priscilla, which yep. is talking about the historical character Priscilla in the Bible. It gives you a great insight into the household codes. Yep. So this is a great example for that we were talking about knowledge. Knowledge. Knowledge of Christ, knowledge yep. of the historical yep. settings and that really help to, to unpack the Bible, doesn't it? Yeah, well, we don't have that. We make the Bible say things it's not saying and Spot we get on. ourselves and we offend people unnecessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay, we might just finish up this chapter mm -hmm. with verse 6. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Oh, that my conversations would be like that yeah. all the time. Yep. Oh, yes. So See, many times I yep. think, oh, why did I say that? Mm. Or could I have said that in a more loving way? Or, you know. I like the fact it's just seasoned with salt. So, yeah. Salt is uncomfortable. Salt is, you know, is irritating. Yep. But I think sometimes we just, <laughs> we just upend the whole pack of salt on people. Well, yeah. <laughs> and he's trying to True. say, no, it's okay to have a bit of salt in there, but but start with gracious and attractive. And then back to Tim Keller again, that's what he's saying he yeah. did. You know, he'd come up with some hard stuff, but he'd start with the uh, gracious and attractive. And a little sure. bit of salt in there is the way to go rather yeah. than um, just dump the whole salt on them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think – I've, I've probably spoken to you about this before too and, and maybe even on the podcast, but that, you know, when we don't know what to do, things seem like it's going to be hard. Ask the Holy Spirit. Yes. He, he yeah, tells ask us to, to ask Ask him. the Spirit to help us. That's, what he, that's yep. why Jesus sent him. Yep, that's right. Ask the Spirit us. to help us. Yep. Yep. 
Yep, for sure. Okay. Thanks for that letter, Paul. Yep, it's a gold one. We're going to move on now to uh, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, I want to read the first five verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Wow. Creation story, John's commentary on Genesis 1. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's and in the beginning. That takes us right back, doesn't it, to the very first yep. words in the Bible. Yep, that's right. This is supposed to be rehashing the Genesis 1 account through Jesus again. This is John Christifying Genesis 1. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, I know not everybody uh, likes the Chosen series yep. for, for no. all sorts of different yep. reasons or whatever, but I watched an episode where John, the Apostle John, was sitting down trying to write his You've, you've probably seen this. I have seen this, yep. And he labours over this. Yep. How am I going to start this? And he's talking to his mum and, yep. you know, and his mum says, just start at the beginning. And yeah, he goes, yeah. Man, <laughs> it just brought tears to my yeah. eyes that John would just go. All these years later. In the beginning. In the beginning. Oh, yeah. And write this, this wonderful it even sounds good in the Greek. I learned this. I learned Greek in a week many years ago with Dr. Ken Chan. Oh, yeah. And it says something like, Enarche proston theon kai hot logos. And it goes on. I could, I could quote it all. But it just sounds so poetic, even in the Greek language, yeah. let alone in the English language. Yeah. yeah. And it just showed that, that he didn't just jot this down, but he's, he's labored spent over this. years yeah. thinking about it. You know. This is a marriage of Genesis 1 with the prevailing Greek thought about how the world was created at the same time. So this, when he says in the beginning was the Logos, the word of God, that we, we think, as Christians, we think, oh, okay, that's, that's Jesus, that's the word, the Old Testament, that's the Bible. But that Logos is actually not just that. It's actually a Greek understanding. There was a Greek philosophy, a prevailing philosophy at the time, that the universe was created by this divine Logos, yep. this um, embodiment. This, this disconnected embodiment force that the word, the logos was some supernatural force that existed that held everything together. So Bre and there's also a guy, um, Philo of Alexandria, who's a contemporary of, of, of John and Jesus and around that first century. And he's writing as a Jew and he, he's bringing in this the concept of God being, cre uh, cre that the logos being created. And Paul is, John is wondrously marrying these together. So he's speaking to Jews and Gentiles at the same time and saying, you know what you think this logos is? This logos is Jesus. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think that's why on the chosen they had John laboring over it. Yeah. Because it's a masterful piece of literature. It sure is. 
Yeah. And it's funny because we used to say, I was a new Christian, I was taught, and then I, as a pastor, they'd say, oh, where do, we, where do we begin, new Christian? Where do you begin reading the Bible? And we'd say, well, begin with the Gospel of John. And uh, and I can see a poor non-Christian sitting down and reading Joss, John chapter 1, verse 1 to 5 and going, oh, I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a kind of circular language or something. Yeah. Through him, before, before Every, him, in oh, him, yeah. you know. Yeah, and I can see why that would put a brand new Christian who's never opened the Bible before. So what I started to do was I said, look, I told people, I said, Gospel of John's a great place to find Jesus. I said, you're going to get you're gonna get sort of confused right at the beginning, and that's totally fine. Every time you find something you don't understand, write it down and keep reading is what yeah. I tell people now. Okay. Because this is rich with meaning, but an average Christian has never picked up, an average new Christian has never picked up the Bible before. This is going to be confusing to them. Yeah. You might be listening to this now and going, what is he even talking about? <laughs> and that's fine. But it is a rich piece of literature. Yeah. That's worth mining the riches of. Yeah. Well, I'm sure people have probably preached on those first five verses and, and made a a six month series out of it. Oh yeah. Probably. Yeah. You know. It's actually it's um you know how Matthew's gospel has a genealogy? Yeah. Luke's gospel has a genealogy. People say oh, Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel are the only two gospels with a genealogy. Not exactly. This is actually a genealogy as well. Uh, this is the genealogy of Jesus from his divine perspective, not from his human perspective. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So Matthew and Luke talking about him, slightly different genealogies, but talking about him as representative of David or representative of Abraham or representative of Adam. This is in the beginning. That's genealogy language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the beginning, right back in Genesis 1, the Logos was already there and that Logos was with God and that Logos was God. Mm. And then he goes on and says, I'm going to tell you who that Logos is. That Logos is Jesus. Yeah. In him was life. Yes. And that life was the light of all mankind. Now, they would have had an understanding of light and yes. darkness, wouldn't yes, they? Yes, absolutely. Back in those days. Yep, yeah. yep, very much so. Light and darkness language was spiritual language to yep. them. Light was good, darkness was bad. Yep. Or was considered to be where pagan occultic practices would take place, where sure. manipulation and control of people would take place in the dark. Yeah. Yep. And verse 5 is such a a great thing for us to remember as we live in this world and, and struggle with the things that happen in this world, like, like I was talking, talking about, about before. before. Yeah. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Yep. The darkness yep. might be there, but yep. it hasn't overcome. Yep. You know? And not that John was probably thinking about this because he wasn't thinking scientifically, but I don't know, listeners, whether you've ever stopped to think about this, what is darkness? Yeah. Lack of light. It's the it's the absence of light. Yeah. You don't define it any other way. Yep. You don't define light as the absence of darkness. You define darkness as the absence of light. Yeah. And so, you know, a little bit of light makes darkness flee. No amount of darkness can extinguish even a little bit of light. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For sure. And there's a song that we sing that says, shine through the shadows. It's, yes. When yeah. I think of that, I think even when it looks like everything's dark and dull yep. and Yep, shadowy all around you. That only needs that little bit of Tiny, light to shine through the right. shadows, and Amen. That'll keep us yep. going. And that light is Jesus, because he goes. He's going to go on and explain that. He says, "I want to tell you what that light is. There was a man. God sent a man, John the Baptist. He wasn't the light, but he came as a witness to tell you about who the light was. The one who was the true light, who gives light to everyone. He was coming into the world, and he came to the world, and they didn't even recognize him." But he did come to his own people. They rejected him. But to anyone who believes in that light, he gives them the right to be children of God. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's beautiful. So, so good. Gives us the right. Yes. Yes, wow. the right. Who are we that he would even consider yeah. us? That's yes, Psalm 8 right there, Jeff. Great. Verse 14, the word that was spoken about yep. up there became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He tabernacled among us. Yes, he tabernacled. Yeah, yep, that's the language, that's the word. We have seen his glory. Remember, this This is John who walked with the Lord Jesus. Yep. This is John who was on the mountain of transfiguration along with Peter and James. Yeah, yep. right. Yeah. So he really has seen his yep. glory. Yep. The glory of the one and the only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's it. John puts his case there, doesn't he? <laughs> sure I've does. seen it. Yep. You know, I, I'm an eyewitness. Yep. Yep. Andy Stanley has a superb message. You can Google it. It's absolutely superb message called When Gracie Met Truthy. Yeah, okay. When Gracie Met Truthy. A brilliant piece of preaching. Many years old, probably eight, ten years old now. But talking about Jesus being full of grace and truth. And he's explaining how sometimes we get Christians who are full of truth and no grace and other Christians who are full of grace and no truth. And yeah. true gospel, Jesus is the mirror of both. He's not half grace, half truth. He's full grace, full truth. Yes. And how yeah. that plays out and how that should play out in the way we Jesus interacts with us and how we interact with the world. Yeah, yeah great word. It's great. And, then, and of course, this, this podcast was about um, the creator, father, the creator. But, you know, it says here that, the Son and the Father, they're one. They're one. And, and so, yep. you know, when we read about the Lord Jesus in the New Testament, it, it's the same as reading about the Father in Absolutely. the Old Testament. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. By him all yeah. things were created. Yep. Yeah, amen. Amen. Sure. Beautiful. That's us. That's us for this podcast for this week. Thanks so much, Pastor Owen. Thank you for Thank listening. Thank you, Jeff. Everyone. Thanks, everyone. Have an incredible week. Talk to you next podcast. God bless.